Australia has been a connection, but Austria we need to explore more now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, awesome. You so sounded like a jank, like so an American, not knowing the difference between Australia, Sweden, and Switzerland. <laughs> exactly. So what's the difference? <laughs> so I had a short presentation for her and talked about what we do and so on. Okay. Cool. And mm. um, um, that. What was the actual topic then? Was it robots mainly, or? Yeah. In my presentation, it was about <coughs> robotics and what we have done. A mm. bit about my background and so on. But the day in whole was about innovation. Uh, ah, so that was the general theme mm, mm, of discussion mm. about innovation. Cool. And and how did that discussion go? Was she, was she I guess, mm. a, a technical person? No, uh, I think she was into law or something like that. Mm. And then you started speaking about, you know, robots and how they work. Or mm. what, what, I, I, it, they was, it was not so much about how they works, but I gave examples on what we have done in the past together with Saab, together with Ericsson and other companies and also in-house projects. Mm. And uh, she was especially upset about the in-house projects because she she actually became upset. Then, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she was asking a lot about uh, why do you do this? Should, should you really invest time and money on this kind of project? Yeah. So what was the most fun project that you think is fun that you think is, could you? We, we, we had done a pizza cutting robot that identified <laughs> the pizza. How it's, this is useful. Yeah, this is really useful. Exactly. And we had camera <laughs> solution, if it's Hawaii or Capriciosa <laughs> and, and also voice controlled robots. So you can talk to the robot and say, I want five slices and the robot will do perfectly five slices. <laughs> Uh, or if you are a seven person and so on. So it's yeah. hard to do that manually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you basically told the robots, you know, I want five slices of pizza and the robot can go and... Yeah, and, and the robot also have a speaker. So it says, yes, boss, I will do this for you. <laughs> and, and she actually became upset about that. Yeah, she, she, she said that uh, this is not what I want to have in the future and you should not invest money in this. And I said, this is an in-house project we did in and mm. after work, uh, just a short project like that. Uh, but she said that we need to focus and, uh, yeah, spend time on more uh, realistic robots or that, that they... Like what? Did she give some examples? Elder care. She said that oh. she wants a robot that can wipe her butt <laughs> in the future and so on. <laughs> she actually said that? Or? Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. But with um, some kind of you know, glimt in the ögat, so to speak? Or? Yes, yes. So, or, so it was a good discussion yeah. back and forth. And she asked, why aren't you more into medical robots? And I said yeah. that the regulation is quite hard and it mm. takes a lot of money and also time to get through all these regulations. Mm. And she also asked, why can't we have robots more in this uh, society open? And yeah. I said, maybe in the future we will see more robots in the society, but for now we need to think about the security and so on. Yeah, and, and what was the main angle here in uh, in relation to Austria? Or mm. like, uh, why do you think she was interested in doing this trip and, and talk about innovation with Sweden, with Swedes? So yeah, she is the ambassador, so she lives in Stockholm. Of so, course. So she's interested in the trade uh, no, so collaboration the, between yeah, Sweden. So as the ambassador Austria. of Austria, it's she, she stays on top of Sweden, so to speak. Yes, yes. And she yeah. wants to have more collaboration between the countries. Mm. And Austria is also in innovative country and Sweden is, so yeah. she wants more collaboration between the countries. And and uh, could you imagine, or could you talk about, did you get into those kind of discussion? What can that innovation be all about? Or is that next step? 
Yeah, we, we talked about that as well. And Saab was part of the meeting and they was talking about the collaboration in the defense industry and so on. So we had some concrete discussions and also she had a trade commissioner with her and uh, we was talking about some uh, theaters, we can use robotics, art together. So it's mm. not only the science part, but we also need the humanity part. And uh, uh, it leaves me down one rabbit hole mm-hmm. here. H- how important are these types of exchanges? Or is it just sort of innovation theater? Is it just uh, inspiration? Does it lead to anything? Or is it part of building up a long-term relationship? H- how do you see the contrib- value of doing things I, like I this? I think they can be great. But the m- biggest value is not actually talking with the ambassador, but no. the other participants. Mm. So me talking with other companies presenting at this occasion, I think that is the most value, at least for me, to have these contacts with other participants. But isn't that then uh, really then the, when these types of engagements, mm. there needs to be an arena to meet mm. and there needs to be uh, accountability mandate and trust that someone can supply like an ambassador exactly. and within that arena now fruitful things exactly exactly happen. so that, that a- yeah that's the main uh, goal that mm-hmm. we have these arenas and the ambassador is there and create yeah create it and make me spend time i i want to go there mm. uh, because she is there not, uh, yeah, if, if someone invite me, oh, go here to this mingle, there will be cool people. I will, will skip it because then I have better things to do on my agenda. But if it's something special, this was on the castle of Linköping, a big dinner and so on, then I can take my time to go there. Makes sense. Was it um, this specific robot that you? No, I, with? I I didn't have this uh, this specific robot. I I actually didn't have any robot with me ah. at the presentation. But I was talking about different kind of robots, and the pizza slicing robot was actually a normal robot arm, like ah. an industrial arm. It's an industrial arm used for pizza slicing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one of those at home, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not going to ask you if you have one because you don't want to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> the pizza robot was actually at my home, yes. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome to have an additional guest mm. today called Elsa, and we should do the proper introduction mm. of her as, as well, well yeah. shortly. But before that, um, let me just you know, welcome you here, mm. Fredrik Lövgren. Um, we've known each other not that long, like mm. a year or two. Mm. But I must say, I've been impressed every time I think we've met. Um, both from the knowledge you have mm. and, and also the, your pers- personality and the way that you can engage people. I, I think, um, in my eyes, you're like a young Elon Musk in some way. <laughs> and what oh, this is huge. <laughs> this is huge. <laughs> I mean, in some way, you have a number of companies, mm. right? Mm. You um, are a very skilled engineer. Mm. Um, but perhaps a bit unlike Elon Musk, we actually are a very good speaker as well. I don't think he's a really good speaker, but he... I, I don't uh, think so either. <laughs> yeah. But maybe that's his trick. Everybody, oh, he's <laughs> yes. so bad at speaking, so he must be telling the truth. <laughs> I think the actual rhetoric is bad, but the, what he says is actually very profound, yeah. mm, of course. Mm, yeah. mm. Um, but I think you also are very good in the way you give speeches. And, and I mean, you've been speaking in so many different occasions yeah. in SVT and... Uh, TV for yeah. and morning news about sex robots. <laughs> but not, um, yeah, what's your claim of fame when it comes to, you know, are you deep, uh, C-S-N is, B-S-N is, O-S-N is, what's your claim of fame? 
I think I'm D or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, but it's, it's a mod on Sofan. It's that the morning new morning show. Is yeah, that, is I, that, I think that's very yeah, broad. M- more people recognize me from Talang, ah, right. Swedish Genie Got Talent, Kampen. and Geni Kampen as well. I mm. I won the first season of Geni Kampen ah, in SVT. Ah, that's a, yeah, so, we speak more about that shortly. Yeah, I think that's a big uh, thing actually. I mean, you have so many talents. Mm. I think it's it's truly impressive and. Also that you have this kind of passion for learning, you know, young kids mm-hmm. learn math mm. and you actually spend lot, lots of time mm. doing so. It shows that you also have a very strong passion and, and like good will for society and people. I, I want to give back the thing that I didn't receive. So I want the next generation to have role models in this kind of fields, not only sports yeah. and music. Yeah. Well put. Well, enough complaints. We can continue for long, <laughs> more time here. <laughs> but let's start with the first question. You know, basically, who is Fredrik Lövgren? How would you describe yourself? Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, raised in the countryside. Uh, so I started building stuff very early, building uh, small uh, houses in the forest or uh, Lego and so on. But then I got bored of like playing with the Legos myself and found out that you can program the Legos. This was quite early in 98, I think, uh, I started programming and send this over to the Lego and the Lego truck or whatever started to move by itself. So it was really interesting and fascinating to see that these cars can move by themselves when I was typing something in the computer. Mm-hmm. And is this the Lego, a special type of Lego? Where yeah, this the, is the, the Lego pro- Mindstorm. Line, Lego Mindstorm, and yes. it has been around since the 90s. Yes, 98, the first generation, oh, and now they are in the fourth. And I have been, been playing with it ever since then. And it's a fast type in prototyping. I can build stuff with the gears and so on, and then write some Nowadays uh, in Python, but you can of course. Oh, we, need, we need to have a clip for my uh, <laughs> my sons. They are Lego nerds, yeah. And I'm trying to push them to start mm. learning programming. Mm-hmm. And this is a good this. good way. Yeah. Mm. So how, how how advanced can you actually get with Lego? And, and I claim quite advanced. Yes, I, I I will say that it's no boundaries. You can no limits. You can go as complicated as you want. I have done uh, Q learning and different AI algorithms. And uh, you can program it in Java, C++, and, Python. And push it into... Yeah. The, the Lego brick, at the n- new generation, both the third one and the fourth one are running Linux. So oh. it's a real operating system inside it. Awesome. And you said 98, but you're actually a very young person as well. <laughs> How old were you at that time? When, when did you start program? What, at what age? I was six or seven. Oh. So I, I'm born in 92. Yes. Yeah. So basically you grew up with Lego, but not any Lego with programmable <laughs> Lego. Exactly. Ooh. And we, we had, we had internet and computers in my home. My, my parents are not programmers, but they are technological interests. And, uh, my father had internet, I think 89 or something like that. That's early. Yes, that's early. But, uh, then after that, he d- didn't understand what should I use this for? So it was like, we had it, but he didn't use it so much. Some sometimes, uh, visiting BBSs and so on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, cool stuff. And, and what happened after that? So you started program, you started working with Lego. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point you, we also, of course, the, did some studying as well, right? Yeah. In the, like, uh, 
junior high school and so on. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I was programming games for my friends as well and yeah. robots and so on. Uh, but I actually got banned from the computer hall because they said, oh, you can't play games here. And I was telling them, no, I'm playing my games. I have done these kind of games. And they say, no, it's impossible. I tried to show them the code and they said that I'm just joking around. So I got banned from the computer hall three months. Yeah, because okay. because you were, no I'm I'm not playing the game I'm beta testing exactly my own exactly game. <laughs> and and I said to them this is a future career you can work as a programmer and they said no it's not a it's oh, a good not terrible. a good oh. choice of a career to be a programmer you, know, you, know, you started just like Elon Musk he started mm. programming games you know mm. when he was really young that was his first yeah. and you started you hacked more I mean yes yeah exactly I was more a hacker I think but I started <laughs> I also hacked uh, my like uh, teachers computer i changed the background image of yeah. the teacher's computer awesome. and so on love it <laughs> cool um and then you continued you also did some studying in university right yeah linchupping of course yeah i moved right. down to linchupping for the university studies and before that i can say at the gymnasium the high school i actually got an office so uh i got the keys to uh, the alarm, the uh, gymnasium high school, and I was there in the spring uh, break and summer break doing some inventions. Uh, I had seen on movies that uh, you can have touch uh, on surfaces. They had a window with touch and they can zoom into maps and so on. And this was before the smartphone. And I thought that this should be possible to build somehow. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about it together with one of my friends. And then we come up with the idea, if you have a projector and we have a table and mirror, so we can shoot the image up to the table. And we had uh, uh, frosted glass uh, on the table. We can see the image there and we can have a camera under the table to register the uh, fingertips. And it was a bit hard to do that in, at in the beginning, but then we filled this uh, area under the table with infrared light and we have an infrared uh, filter on the camera as well. And then we can filter out these fingers because the infrared light will reflect on the fingertips. It's not so much heat. Oh, it's, it's the reflection. The reflection on the fingertips. Ah. And we can still see the image because the image is invisible spectra. So the, the red, so you have the infrared in order to get the spectra for the, for the fingertips, the fin yes. which is not interfering with the spectra of exactly. the actual image. Exactly, exactly. And then we could uh, play games. We had Pong and we had maps we can zoom into and other games and also having like a- And this was your spring break. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. When I was six, 16 years old or something, we could have images, we pass them around like a photo gallery and so on. And this was before Microsoft uh, released their uh, multi-touch table, before Sectra had their operation table and so on. And when Microsoft released there, they had a limitation on five fingers. But we had 10. Yeah, more, uh, no, no limitation on the number of fingers. Because you sold it differently. Exactly, exactly. So that that's such things. I see something in the movies and then I start thinking, how can I build this? Also VR headsets. I did my first VR headset, I think, in the high school. I was 17 or 18 years old. Uh, with a mobile phone and uh, the, 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 and so whole, the, the whole cardboard. Yeah, exactly. Before yeah. the cardboard. Yeah. yeah. But the fundamental idea mm -hmm. was already mm -hmm. then. Exactly. Exactly. And so you made it work. Yeah, it worked. So it was nice. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Oculus and everything with the VR uh, exploded. 
Mm, um, awesome. Okay, so I know you did so many th- things when studying as well, but you started to study at what program was this? It was not applied, a applied physics because I thought that I already know how to program. Why uh-huh. should I study programming? <clears throat> I, I I have been programming like more than 10 years when I started university. So I thought, oh, I'm, I'm already pro on this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I wasn't. But uh, anyway, I started applied physics because I thought that it's good to know physics as well. Yeah. And uh, then we had internal uh, championship in programming at the university, so uh, internal competition between the students. And in the first year or first semester, I think I won the competition, first or second, maybe. And then uh, one of the teachers was emailing me and asking, how did you win? Uh, You're studying physics and you won over the uh, computer science guys. And I said, yes, because I already know how to program. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) So uh, maybe it was the right choice to uh, study physics because... Apparently, I knew about algorithm and algorithmic programming, com- competition programming. I already knew a lot of things. I have been competing in different competition, mm-hmm. like uh, the Baltic Olympic uh, programming challenge and so on, and also Swedish Programmeringsolympiaden. Perhaps we should go there for just a second. You mm-hmm. know, um, competitive programming is is a bit different, I would argue, than normal programming. Mm-hmm. Or, or how, how would you describe what competitive programming is? It's more about uh, algorithm, uh, how to solve problems, very uh, limited, concrete problems in an efficient way. So normally if I program a robot, I have a purpose. The robot should bring me something, do some task. But in the uh, competitive programming, it's more about clever data structure or a clever uh, way of... uh, and, yeah. and what was the criteria to win in competitive programming? It is the most sharp or neat code or no, the shortest it, it, amount of lines? You, you, you can have the different rules. So there are programming competitions where you should be fastest, like writing the code fastest or having the Sol- short, shortest code. Shortest well. code, solving yes. the problem the fastest. Yeah, or. exactly. So th- there are different competitions with different rules. But normally you should clear all the inputs. Uh, so So you... If if you don't uh, succeed in solving all inputs, you get less score. But if two competitors have the same number of inputs uh, that they can solve, then it's the fastest one doing that. So what's the normal setup for a competition like this? You're given some kind of uh, instruction yes. and you have some time frame. Can you just describe the normal setup? Today, they are using uh, computer judges. So you get the task formulation on a paper. Uh, It can can be be seven seven tasks or five tasks. Uh, Some of them are short, like uh, five uh, sentences, but some of them can be quite comprehensive. So you need to really dig into the problem and try to understand what are they talking about. And it's very clear about how should the input be structured, how should the output be structured, because we have a computer judge no human will be interfering in the judging process. So you need to really read how many lines should you read from the standard input, how many lines should you print out and so on. Uh, 
And then uh, you start programming and you can do it in different languages, Python, C++, Java, or whatever you want. And then you send in your source, source code to a web interface mm -hmm. and they will compile it and run it and you will get an answer. For example, you succeeded in five out of 10 example inputs or you right. succeeded in all of them in this uh, time frame, or you get a compilation error sometimes, or you get uh, memory exceeded. You, mm. you can get different outputs from the judge. Mm. Uh, when I was competing in the beginning, you sent in the code to human and the human will compile it and try it with different uh, arguments and so on. Yeah, I mean, uh, cool. And uh, I guess it's rather different then because you have a time limit as well that you can spend on it. And But normally you have it in a real project as well from the client. You have a time limit, a deadline. You do, <laughs> but it's not that short, right? No. Or what's the normal time limit that you have in in a programming competition, it can be one hour a problem or something mm. like that, even less sometimes, uh, but one or two hours a problem. Mm. Uh, and the problems should be, if you, if you know how to solve it, it should be solvable within maybe half an hour, mm. but you need to know a lot about different data structure, algorithms and so on. And you, you can read it online, but it's also, e even if you know, I should use Dijkstra's algorithm here, or I should use the Simpsons algorithm here, you need to uh, transform the problem and the data to fit the specific algorithm. So it's not only like you have this data sorted fast as possible, mm. it, it's a bit more tricky. So what would be your tips if, if anyone is interested in getting into competitive programming, what should they do? Should they learn about like basic structure, data structures, basic I, I, algorithms? Yeah, that, that's maybe the second step. I think you can start working directly, just uh, tinkering around. Uh, mm. You don't need to know all our algorithms or it's hard also to know what kind of algorithms should I know in the beginning. So yeah. start to solve the problems. Usually you can solve it in a naive way and then it, it will find the answer in maybe one hour, two hours, mm. five hours. Um, but then you can start uh, like search on uh, different uh, breadth first search or depth ser first search or uh, yeah, different uh, sorting algorithms and so on just mm. to get the grasp of how, how to think about it. Yeah, I mean, cool. And uh, it, there was this new thing from DeepMind. What was the name of it again? Um, yeah, they are trying to solve these emo problems, math yeah. problems. Is it no, no, it was uh, alpha code. Um, yeah. It was actually a model uh, similar to these large language models, but mm. in this case, they actually tried to, given that just the textual description, mm. if I recall correctly, of the problem in mm. programming competitions, write the program mm. and have it, you know, win this kind of competition. Mm. And uh, it's kind of different, you know, you have these kind of codecs and other uh, models that can help you program and mm. write mm. code. Mm. But in this case, I think, uh, if I don't remember incorrectly, it was AlphaCode and they basically trained it specifically for competitive programming mm. tasks. They took historical ones, they gave it the, the textual description and, and they made it train how to do that. And mm. So they trained an AI to, to, solve, to solve typical competitive programming. Yeah. The problems and I think and the, it they didn't like uh, beat the expert human, mm -hmm. but they came I think to the um, fifty percent mm -hmm. uh, or fifty percentile mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. average human performance, mm -hmm. so to speak. Uh, so, but still, it's it's kind of impressive, right? That exactly, yeah, it's really impressive, and it's much more that is much more impressed than this GPT codex it that is, just right? you write. I want a button on this location. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's 
quite easy to figure out how to have that button in that position, but it's much ho- harder to know what kind of data structure and so, so on. Yeah. yeah. Do you and think, how long would it take until, you know, humans are mm-hmm. uh, succeeded by, by AI in competitive programming? Do you think it will? Yeah, yeah. Some, some day, some year it will happen, may, but I think it will take quite a long time until they are better than all humans because it's the, the most challenging problem are really, really hard, even for the most experienced humans. And you then don't have so much data samples on, on the solutions. Mm. So uh, it's hard to tell, but probably before the thirties. So within mm. eight years. Awesome. Yeah. Similar to, um, what was the, the person that predicted that, uh, the singularity would happen in 2029? Kurzweil. Kurzweil, thank mm-hmm. you. But this yeah. might not be the singularity. No, <laughs> no, of course. Yeah. But it's <laughs> coincide. <laughs> the timing is mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. But if we go back to um, um, the university, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was the reasoning around choosing going down the physics path? Yeah, it, it was because I was, and I am interested in physics. Mm. Uh, and I think physics is the foundation in many fields. So it's good to know a lot about physics. And also a lot of my role models are physicists. And good like who? And a specific uh, person? Uh, for example, uh, Max Tegmark and, and other people as well. Uh, but... Um, also, yeah, I am interested in how, how the university works. Yeah, and, and, and if, I, if I tweak the question a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, where, where was your career part? Or, you know, I'm not sure you were thinking, but physics. I, I wanted going, to do robotics. You, so you, you were clear on robotics yes, early since, on. Since I was 10 years, so I wanted to do you, robotics. You wanted, your direction was robotics, yes. but instead of going the programming route mm-hmm. to robotics, mm-hmm. you went, if you tried, you find a physics route. Yes. To and, and you need to know about mechanics yeah, and you exactly. need electronics and exactly. you, you need that kind of stuff as well. And I already knew quite a lot about uh, programming. So then it's good to n- learn more about how to create PCBs, how to create sensors and the hardware. I had already in high school and junior high school built robot myself, not only with Legos, but also electronics with transistors, resistors and so on. So I have been doing that, but I wanted to learn more how to calculate what value values should I have on this cap capacitor and so on. But, but, um, used to continue on this train mm-hmm. of thought now, mm-hmm. um, Going into university, mm-hmm. knowing I have a clear direction, I want to be in robotics. Mm-hmm. How should one think around your university curricula or how did you think for, for yeah. to find a path? Yeah, uh, I, I thought that, and I still think the most important thing is to do what you're thinking is fun. Follow your passion. If you're into software, follow that. If you are more interested in hardware, follow that. Or if you're in, into like the brain and uh, uh, cognitive science, read cognitive science program. I think all of these competences are needed when you are building a robot. So mm-hmm. it's better to follow your interest because then you will learn more and you, you will be a better. I, I, uh, I love that advice. You, 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 you know, I want to be in robotics, mm-hmm. but this is multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So where is my passion and exactly. how does this fit robotics? Exactly. exactly. And nice. I can also add on that I read, read uh, international applied physics. So I have always been 
interested in languages as well, even though I don't speak so good English, but I read Spanish at the university and I took one year off or not off. I, I studied applied physics in Spain, like thermodynamics and quantum mechanics and so on in Spain. Uh, so that was also one reason I chose uh, to read uh, in Linköping mm. and applied physics because the computer science program don't have this international profile. Then, you, of course, you can go abroad. You can read in uh, an English speaking university. But I wanted to continue uh, learning more Spanish. And I still think that can be a good uh, knowledge for my career because mm. a lot of companies are uh, looking to the east, to China, Japan, and so on. But you have the Southern America, Latin America. Uh, huge as well. Yes. And a lot of people and quite cheap people that you can hire there. So if I'm going to build a good and big company, maybe we can have the production in Chile or Argentina because I can speak Spanish. Mm. Awesome. And uh, I'm get eager to, to um, speak more about quantum mechanics and your thoughts <laughs> about that. But before we move into that kind of more philosophical topics, perhaps we should just take a, uh, a small step back and say, and I think a lot of people just confuse what AI and robotics is. If we were to start with just what is robotics, mm -hmm. do you have a preferred definition of what yes, robotics I have, really of is? Course. Yes. And the, I can start with saying, that there exist multiple de uh, definitions on this. Uh, but my definition that I use uh, to tell when I'm giving lectures is that the robot needs to react on the environment and act. So it could not only be a sensor that is reacting, you need an actuator, a motor, something that should happen. So for example, um, lawn mover, uh, it reacts on the bumpers and moves away. That's a robot. Uh, what about the chess playing uh, machine mm -hmm. that is playing completely in, in a virtualized environment? Mm -hmm. you, consider you, that you, to you be can a have robot? yes, you can have software robots as well. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a physical artifact. And I would say also that uh, these trade robots, uh, they can be robots. They are reacting on the environment, taking decision and acting. Should I sell this? Should I buy this? Also chatbots. They react on what someone is talking mm. and answering that. So I have a quite broad uh, definition on mm. the So it doesn't need robot. to be mechanical. So no, it can be a software, software immaterial, like yeah. uh, only, only um, digital software. But it's also a rather similar definition to reinforcement learning. Mm. It also basically says that anything mm -hmm. that acts in an environment and, and actually performs some action and then use that to yes. optimize some but, kind of future. But there you, you had the difference that you, you have some form of experience. The behavior will change. A lawn mover will do the same. It will go into the same mm. tree all over There's it no again. learning in it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like so, so, so in your definition of robotics, mm. you're not highlighting learning. No, exactly. It's not AI. It's not learning. It's not machine learning. It's mm. a physical or immaterial thing that will do things, sometimes using AI, sometimes using rules, uh, mm. but it will do um, some form of production or some form of action there. And I can differ this from typical like industrial robot, because that robot, usually now it's coming more and more robots with vision. But if you skip this modern vision uh, controlled robots, they are only following a path going from one point to another to a third one and repeating that all over again. Yeah. That's not a robot. It's just a machine following a path. 
Mm. So you need a sensor to react on the environment. So that's another part of the definition that the robot has a sensor in mm. some ways, some form to differentiate it from a sophisticated machine. machine. Mm. Exactly. I mean, I think that's a really good definition. I, I really like it. Um, but I guess, I mean, me, I get a bit annoyed because people conflate the two terms mm-hmm. and think that robots is AI or AI yes, is robotics. All the times. Right. And also confuse it with this RPA <laughs> systems. So <laughs> when I'm out, they are always, oh, you're working on the uh, RPA field. And I said, no, I'm not doing uh, screen clickers. <laughs> but now this is an interesting topic. Can we argue with the logic of definition of robotics mm-hmm. that a screen clicker is robotics at all, a virtual robot? If, yeah. If it's using to, now, we're going down a path yes. he doesn't like. Uh, let's let's. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> if it's a screen it's, clicker, a robot. If it's just following a pattern, like it's moving, machine. yeah, then it's a machine. But if it's using some form of optical character reading or something yeah, like that, then you might define that as a sensor, and it's using that f- as an input. But usually, all the RPAs I have seen are stupid uh, machines because if the program change, if the layout of the software change, the software, the the RPA needs to be changed. And I should clarify as well, I'm not against RPA. What (laughs) I'm against is that they think RPA is AI or um, that they they think it's the the future of AI or something. It's just a conflation of what the terms mean mm, that I'm against. RPA can be super useful. I, I use them. Yeah, I, I program RPAs for myself, yeah. but I don't think the naming is so no, good. And, and, and the real exactly. problem, what, what upsets us is that in, in this big hype train, where we start muddling the definitions, mm. we are muddling the problems that can we solve with the different tech. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we, we get, you know, a lemmel train. Mm. Now we should do everything with the RPA, which is a really, really bad idea. Mm. So by, by being a little bit more clear on the definitions mm-hmm. and not overselling mm-hmm. it, but showing what it's truly useful for, we and, would all benefit. I, I, I think that the RPA have a use today, but in the future they yeah. are, are not necessary anymore. I was meeting the Minister of Digitalization here in Sweden yeah. um, last week, I think, and we was talking about just this, uh, and he said that, we are trying to, in all this procuration, open, uh, procurement, yeah, uh, yeah. Pandlingar. Yeah. Pandlingar. Procurement. procurement, yeah, procurement. Uh, they should have a requirement on open APIs. So, for example, for the police or for uh, the uh, community or whatever, they should have an API. So different programs, different uh, institutions can talk to each other using software instead, Mm -hmm. using a REST API, for example. Exactly. Uh, And then we don't need any uh, RPAs. Yeah, cool. I mean, it's actually similar to, um, if you remember, Henrik Langren came here and speak about Arctic Capital. It's like an Mm. investment firm. Mm. But instead of you making pitches to what you should invest in, they simply look at the data and say, okay, this looks like a good investment. Imagine if that was possible for procurement as well, mm, as well mm-hmm. to actually just say, okay, give me your data and, and show it and, and we make a more objective decision on mm. you know, how to proceed. That would be really awesome. Yeah. 
Cool. And perhaps we haven't mentioned what RPA stands for. Uh, so it's, it's robotic process automation, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, and, it, and it's a term that was coined by the vendors that is sort of uh, building these types of systems to automate mundane uh, office tasks. For example, if you have a program for your invoices and you need to copy that to your bank or something like that, yeah. you have a software and you can copy the bank number and the amount, and then the the, the program can paste it in the bank and yeah. send send and, it and, over. And we 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 derogatory to derogatory Tory. call it the clean uh, screen clickers because mm. simply what you in, in one way do you you record the macro of doing a, a manual task, and when you're recording it. It, it sort of follows what have you clicked on yeah. and what have you done. And then, and then basically the automation is about playing that up at yeah. the right moment. It's a macro. It's a macro. Mm. That's all it is. Mm. I guess it, we can use some other favorite terms of ours, you know, digitization versus <laughs> digitalization. Yeah. Mm. And this is a clear example of digitization. You mm. have the same process as you had before. Yeah. You just try Put to layer on it. top of it. Yeah. Mm. So it's the same process. You just try to digitize it. Yeah, and, and, and the core idea here is that we haven't really rethought the process with with the support of data or, mm. you know, or, or software. We have really only, we have an analog process underneath mm. still, but we have a cr screen clicker doing the analog yes. job. Should we, before we continue on your background, by the way, because mm -hmm. you have so many different companies, et cetera, that would be nice to talk about. I know this is a rabbit hole that we can speak forever about. So let's try to keep this question really short if we can. But we spoke about, you know, what is robotics? Now we have to go a bit What is AI? It. Yes, your favorite definition. What is AI? So AI is about having an artificial, like the A is artificial, decision uh, software. So something like a robot or just a computer vision algorithm or something that take decisions by itself. So I don't say do that, do this. Um, but the algorithm can do the decision by itself. And I have quite broad definition here as well. So mm -hmm. for example, gold, good old fashioned AI, yes. like rule based AI is still an AI, but then it's just following a lot of different if statement mm -hmm. or uh, you have a state machine. That's also like a lot of if statements. And this is an AI, but then you have like machine learning and different kind of new uh, neural networks and such where we have this learning. So AI doesn't need to have the learning component. Yeah. It's just the decision making that the software is doing. I'm not clicking, do this action, do that action, but right. the software itself I, will do it. I, I really think this definition is refreshing because, you know, if you do it to the broader sense, you know, it's the decision making you're highlighting here and you don't care how it's built up. Mm. I mean, like if, if, um, if you go down another part of the definition, I would argue that the learning of the uh, ability, uh, uh, you know, when we talk about artificial intelligence, you know, now we, now we switch more to the focus on the intelligence mm -hmm. part of the AI, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then we could argue, uh, what is the definition of intelligence? Yes. We have our favorite one. Should we go know. there? Yeah. Or do you have a preferred definition? And we can give ours as well. But mm. uh, I, I don't know if I have a preferred definition, but it, 
It is all about our perception if the system is intelligent or not. So I can see like uh, animals, they, some animals seem more intelligent than I think they are more intelligent. Mm. Some robots seems more intelligent. Like th this uh, Elsa robot is more intelligent than a lawn mover because it's jumping to the same tree all over again. Mm. It's still AI. It's using some rules, but it's not intelligent. Mm. Uh, so it's more uh, about my opinions or it's more about how I, uh, how, how I feel about it. Does, but it, that's not a good definition. <laughs> no, I can give you mine, by mm. the way, and, and it would be fun to hear what mm. you mm. think about it. You um, stole it, by the way. Is yeah. it yours now? <laughs> no, I, my preferred, no, of course I stole it. And, and the first definition of AI in, in general is actually stolen from 1956. It's one of the, or the original definition, mm. I would say, which is that AI is the software, or the science and engineering of building intelligent machines. Or I would say systems instead mm. of machines. Intelligent because, systems. And then yeah. all of a sudden you have the definition of intelligence. Yes. So it, it comes directly to what intelligence mm. is. Uh, and, and it's also very similar to what you said, because it's not really about learning. It's not a necessary component of it. It's just that it has to have some kind of form of intelligence. And then it's AI. Mm. It's just it embedded in some system, mm. software mm. or hardware, doesn't matter, but it's some kind of system. So I think that can be easily, you know, accepted in some way. But then the really big question is mm. what is mm. intelligence? And I actually changed my mind not that long ago, like five years ago or something. No, or, yeah, three years ago. And it actually was um, Francois Cholet's definition in 2019 that he started to speak about intelligence as a skill acquisition efficiency measure. So he basically said that if you have a system, a system that can learn to play chess, but it can learn to do to, to, to play chess very, very quickly, efficiently, then it's intelligent. If you have a system that can learn to recognize images and see that it's a, a dog or a cat, but it can do that very efficiently, then it's intelligence. If it does it inefficiently by, for example, programming and hard coding mm -hmm. all the rules that the chatbot has to have, then it's not really intelligent. It, it's just a system that through huge amount of work learns to do a complicated task, but that only brings it knowledge. It doesn't bring it intelligence. No. And so, and so the d distinction, and I, 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 this is the distinction between intelligence and, and knowledge and learning. No, yeah, knowledge, yeah. knowledge, right? Mainly intelligence and, and knowledge, but then learning is the way to obtain mm. intelligence, mm. right? And, and so, the, how fast you learn. Has, is this then? Yeah, and, and I would say, actually, you can obtain intelligence by manually programming. For example, Elsa. Mm. It's just it goes so slowly mm -hmm. because mm. you have to enter all the rules by yourself mm. and change and adapt to every change that happens. So even though you can have some level of intelligence by hard coding rules, which go to good mm. old-fashioned AI is about, it just goes so slowly. Mm. So that's why it's a low level of intelligence. But by learning from data and automating that part, so you learn the rules automatically, mm. it goes more, so much more faster. Mm. Yes, it's more efficient, hence more intelligent. Mm. But, but the interesting topic then becomes that we, we have artificial intelligence and now we're then talking about the different, you know, is it high artificial, is it high intelligence or low intelligence? I think yeah, the, the, we haven't the more really I mean, the more efficient you are in obtaining But do you have skill. any metrics? Can you measure it somehow? Yeah, time or memory wise, mm -hmm. I think time or memory complexity is mm -hmm. probably the easiest way to measure it. Do you like that definition or what do you think about that? 
Yeah, it's quite neat, but that's not the same as we use for humans. We are more into IQ and so on, yeah. measuring intelligence by uh, having some tests you, you do and you normalize it over the population. What are we measuring when we are measuring IQ? Yeah, it, uh, progressive metrics. What is it really you are measuring, right? Because you're uh, different types yeah, of problem solving. Yeah, on, only one type of problem solving, matrices. matrices. Yeah, yeah, matrices, matrices. You see the patterns in the matrices, if or not. But that's more into my definition. You you measure how how you perceive the system. How do you perceive the human? Is it intelligent or not? If I think it's intelligent then it's more, but that's, that's much harder to quantify mm. than mm. measuring the time. But I really don't want to defend, you know, the type of IQ measures that mm. or tests that we have, but in some way there, there's supposed to be some kind of test that is not possible to learn. So even though you try to learn mm. by, you know, doing hundreds of them, it shouldn't improve that much, but it does, mm. I would argue. You can train to be better at IQ tests. It's just, it's, it's rather hard. Mm. Um, so in and that way, in that way, it they is have more. They have done knowledge. studies that you can hire your IQ with maybe five points. I don't remember, yeah. but you can't hire it with thirty points. Yeah, no. So you can you can improve it a bit, but not. No. You, so you, in, in you also have some. So in, that, in that way, it is actually some kind of intelligence because mm. it's not knowledge. Mm, mm. It, it's the ability to learn how to solve a task in a short amount of time. Mm, mm. Exactly. So in that sense, and, it measures. And, and the interesting thing: how do I devise an, a test? that separates intelligence from knowledge. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the IQ test is trying to do. Mm. Yeah, it's also what Cholet tried to do with the ARC challenge and whatnot mm. not in mm. his paper. I'm, I actually disagree quite a lot with Franz Cholet and other points, but we shouldn't go there. Right? <laughs> I think, but we can take that to another point. Uh, awesome. Now we have a really good, I think, definition of robotics and mm. AI. And, and you kind of like them, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> <laughs> because some, sometimes, oh, I'm biting my tongue and I spill it out. But you don't, you're not biting your tongue. I don't see you biting no. your tongue. Ah, uh, Frederick is a star. Smart guy. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, we haven't even gotten into university studies. But okay, mm. how did you, you, you chose to do studies in physics then, but you also start working with robotics rather quickly then. Yeah, I, I was like doing this competition and I had this email, oh, have you cheated or how, how can you be so good in programming? And they actually did some searching online and found out that I have been competing in these programming challenges, but foremost, they found out that I have been competing in RoboCup e even yes. before I started uh, university. I so you were recruited. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they recruited me to start a new uh, robotics lab oh. uh, under Frederick Heinz, oh, uh, nice. that is a professor nowadays. Yes. Uh, so I was recruited to um, decide or together with the other uh, researchers, what kind of robot should we have, what kind of uh, computers, what kind of GPUs should we have and so on. And we started up a small robotics lab at the university for humanoid robots like Elsa here. And was this the start of the, of, of the humanoid uh, robotics exactly, lab? Exactly, exactly. That, that was the start at Linköping University for the humanoid lab. So I was part of that and ordering all the uh, equipment. Oh, you yeah. had so much fun, you know, yes. toy, <laughs> toy, buying toys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but also uh, I was teaching robotics using the robots and uh, introductory course in robotics and uh, having the robots. In the beginning, we just had two robots and then they got in more and more and more. And now we have 12 of them in the uh, lab. So, so in this way, you were recruited into the lab uh, 
to start the lab to start the lab mm. with the real goal of winning robocop of course <laughs> I mean, we should go really to mm. robocop and i think yeah and speak about you know how does that work how do you compete mm-hmm. and, how, and everything so but, that, that, but yeah we have mentioned elsa so many times yeah. and i think <laughs> i can see she's start, starting to be a bit bored here yeah and i think we should really introduce elsa as well mm. so she doesn't become too sad about not joining the discussion <laughs> Could, could you welcome Elsa to the discussion, please? Or? Yeah, of course. So often when we are using robots, and as you said as well, she, she, you said that, oh, Elsa looking bored, but the robot itself is not having any feelings. But we as humans are putting feelings Projecting. And, yeah, on, on robots. But we are using these kind of humanoid robots in research, like swarm behavior, different robots competing together, doing stuff. And also, yeah, developing uh, awareness of the environment, like computer vision, planning, navigation, and so on. And we we have them in research projects, but also in competitions. Mm-hmm. For example, a world championship in soccer. and yeah, RoboCup. And RoboCup, yeah. And then uh, we have five against five on a small field. And no, but don't go into Robocop. No, I think no, we sorry, have sorry, a sorry. separate topic. For uh, that. Just uh, welcome yes. Elsa to the discussion, please, if you could. So I can start her up uh, using my computer. Can you get her in the camera as well? Yeah. So, uh, so we have a small Python script. Uh, so I can uh, control her, for example, stand up. And then the robot will stand up. And now the robot moves all joints and the arms, the legs, and so on to become ah, in a standing position. Now she has waited too long, so the battery is maybe a bit low. And I can also make her talk. Uh, So, for example, the robot can say, Hello, I am the robot. I am better than Anders. This is a stupid robot. I can hear that. You're really smart. I really like you, Elsa. You're really smart. (laughs) And we have used the robots. My battery will soon be charging. I know, Elsa. Uh, We have used the robots in different competition, but also in Sweden Got Talent. So maybe we can. So it was this a specific robot that was in talent in the talent show? Yes, yes. This has been in the talent show, and I can make the robot dance, for example. Uh, and this is pre-programmed, so we have done the animation. Dancing is good. <laughs> that that sells itself. You can drop it. We, we should really bring her to the karaoke shows later and see if she can actually win for once. Actually, win a karaoke show. But yeah, I think she would have a big chance of, of winning a karaoke show. And then but also, I think we should be clear here. This is a bit of a gimmick as well, right? 
And yeah. for yeah. now, I, I control the robot, but it can be used for more advanced AI. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Can studies. you just speak a bit about the hardware? What type of robot is this? Yes. How does she work? Uh, we have 28 motors, 28 actuators, and all actuators have a positional sensor, a temperature sensor, current sensor, so we can measure the current flow. For example, when the robot is grasping someone something, the current will go up. We have ultrasonic sensors in the chest uh, to measure distance. Uh, in the eyes, we have infrared sensors, so it can send commands for a computer or a projector or tel- TV, for example. Um, but it doesn't look through the eyes. It looks in the mouth with a camera and mm. in the forehead. Uh, and since it's looking in the mouth, it can't speak there. So we have the speakers in the ears. So it speaks in the ears, look in the mouth and uh, have <laughs> the microphone up in the head, four microphones, and I can triangulate my voice or sound. So if I'm speaking from this direction, it will reach the closest microphone before the other one, and it can turn the head towards me. And a lot of different buttons. We have buttons on the hands, on the feet, we have bumpers and some LEDs. And in the in the body, we have gyroscope, accelerometer, and such sensors to measure the rotation. If it's falling over or something yeah, but like the that. simple the simple uh, task of standing up mm-hmm. it, it what what does that require in terms of you, you you're using several of the actuators the yes. gyroscope yeah, exactly. what is in play uh yeah it's like you said if i turn the robot down oops, it will figure out how to reach uh the standing pos- posis- position from from this uh, laying down, and I have the same. Uh, I have the same code when it's on the belly or the back. It figures out how to move all the joints. So, so it's some. But how, how much is pre-programmed set of rules, and how much is actually driven by sensor? It mm-hmm. actually second by second taking new decisions. Yeah. So we have some pre-programmed rules that it select between, like a yeah. state machine. So if it's on the back, it's first go to sitting position and then go up. If it's on the uh, belly, on the then then it's go to the sitting position and then up and so on. Mm-hmm. So we have different pre-programmed rules. But for example, when it's walking, then it's the dynamical adjust all the time. So if I take the robot here and I will walk forward, uh, it's adapting uh, the gains and so on, how, how to move the feet. <laughs> and a position. I killed it. I killed Don't kill the robot, Henrik. <laughs> So, but we can, of course, it's it's possible to program uh, everything like in real time dynamically, but the processor is quite slow. It's an uh, Intel one gigahertz processor. So when we are doing more deep uh, neural networks and so on, we stream the data from the camera to a stationary computer and then send back uh, commands for the robot. And what are the examples where you're starting to apply more and more machine learning and AI with Elsa? What types, what, what examples do we have? Yeah, for example, when we play soccer, how to detect, ah, how to detect the soccer ball and... Because uh, that is completely, they need to adjust to the exactly, environment. Exactly, and find their teammates and the opponents how to play. And there we are using both neural networks, uh, mainly for the computer vision part, uh, but we have also like potential fields of, of where to stand. Yeah, 
vector fields, mm. where where to go on the field, yeah. uh, what is the optimal stage and so on. And we also adapt different strategies depending on if we are meeting Germany, we know that Germany is better defenders, then we play certain rules. If we are meeting Japan, we have another set of rules that the robots are following. Tactics, it's called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. I'm eager to just throw in another Elon Musk quote then, <laughs> and just to see how much you agree with that. And he compares, he speaks about the Tesla car as the robot in this mm-hmm. case. Mm. And I think we compare it to Elsa as well as a mm-hmm. robot. But for one thing, he says that um, Tesla cars um, needs to have perception. They need to use the cameras, mainly the cameras in that mm-hmm. case, computer vision, mm-hmm. to understand the surrounding environment, to, to see other cars, to other, other humans, and, and how it's placed itself in that environment. And then once you have that kind of, he called it vector space, basically mm-hmm. a, com- uh, a conversion from the raw pixel data that they receive into some kind of internal vector space mm-hmm. that represents the world state, so, yes. so to speak. And then from that state, he wants to take a set of actions, like basically to accelerate, to break, or to turn, mm-hmm. right? And and he says basically that you can argue that that could be some kind of reasoning that you want to do mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. up with mm-hmm. the best action to take at this point. And then you can start to, to ask, you know, what is the most difficult problem? Is it the perception problem or the reasoning problem? And he his answer is a bit, I think, interesting. He basically says that it's easily the perception problem that is the most hard one. And the reasoning is rather simple because he compares it to, for example, GTA, the, the game Grand mm-hmm. Theft Auto, mm-hmm. where, uh, which is completely in vector space already mm-hmm. to start with. And then it's very simple to have... Um, computer-driven car in, yes. in GTA. Yes. And it can be driving around in a very complicated mm, fashion. Mm, mm, and it's no problem at all mm. to have some reasoning, if you call it that, when it comes to how to... I would agree. Yeah. yeah. And we, we uh, notice this a lot when we are doing robotics. Usually we start out doing simulations. Mm. And I was competing last weekend in a firefighting competition. So we build robots that we send in in an apartment and it should find a, a small fire and extinguish that fire. Mm. And we started doing this in the simulator and it worked perfectly. And then we moved the same algorithm over to the robot and it didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. And we have this in, yeah, all over again in every robot we, we are trying. Mm-hmm. And then in the simulator, we add noise. We have like real models of the sensor, real model of the motors, but still when we move it to a physical system, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a good way. Like I still. Uh, advise people to use simulators because you, because you can iterate right. a lot when you're developing the algorithm, but you need m- m- much time on the physical system. Uh, otherwise it won't work. And this is because of friction. It's because of uncertainty. It's because of the nature is not ideal. And this is why I love robotics. Mm. Uh, I started doing some uh, games in the computer, like, uh, yeah, I did a car game and that is boring because you don't have these uncertainties. Mm. I want something physical to move around because that's much more complex and therefore much more interesting. I, I must, uh, just on the Elon Musk topic, did you see his last TED talk used quite recently? What was it about? No, you know, he, he bought Twitter. Yeah. Um, mm. he, he's going to focus on humanoid robotics. Mm. And he basically says to Optimus, solve, right? mm. yeah, and to mm. solve self-driving car, mm. you mm. almost need to self uh, general AI to solve yeah. it. Mm. I mean, like when, 
the physical problem in reality if you really want to solve it uh, self driving cars you you're getting very very close to what he what yes. he says and that's also the topic of embodiment you can't yeah. do a uh, robot uh, closed in a in a can or something it needs a body it needs to interact with the environment to grasp things look at it otherwise you can't get real intelligence but i think we should be careful here because he didn't say general ai no, what nor he, nor did he say human level ai i think he said real world ai if i recall correctly yeah but, uh, and i think it's a big difference yeah, I, and it's I, an important and, less, and and i i i don't want to go into an argument on on the core semantics but what he what, what the, the the gist of the argument is that you need the ai becomes very sophisticated in order to really understand what it's it doing it needs to operate in the real world i think that's what that's, he that's really what he's saying and and that's what he's saying is you know we think we've solved it but then we bump on the next complication mm, mm, mm. on the other hand they are closer than ever so he's he's not yeah, saying that it's just that far we, away i think also we can say that we can have working and useful self driving cars without having general ai yeah of course yeah 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 and, and that's why it's important to this you know make a distinction mm, between mm. real world ai yeah but then yeah. then I, then I maybe listen to what he said the last time because i i think he's i'm not saying he's saying general ai but he, no, he, he, he i'm kind of sure he said real world ai but uh, but the the ai problem is yes for self driving cars is quite huge in mm. terms of many different aspects yeah yeah but the, the hardest part is the perception yeah, there for because sure. we need sure. good yeah good information to feed into the reasoning yeah. if you have trash in you will get trash out yeah So if you have per- or sufficiently good perception then you have a perception of the real world mm. and then it's rather easy exactly. to make a well working AI Exactly and then that is why they are doing like Atari games and a lot of StarCraft and so on because it's much more easy yeah. and we can focus on the reasoning more than the perception and we have other researchers doing the perception we we are uh, doing research in both both fields of course but it's hard to do them at the same time then we have StarCraft for the reasoning and we have perception for it. Yeah, so basically if you go to the pr- reasoning lab mm. they they will work on those problems in, in the software in, yeah. in software mm. like like exactly. StarCraft. Game. Exactly. I have to ask this question and mm-hmm. sorry we will never pass the <laughs> but anyway. Eric, mm? is Elsa conscious? No. <laughs> Why? Uh because she she is just following the software and she doesn't depends of course how i program it i think in the future we might have robots that have consciousness mm-hmm. but for today it's just uh, like a tool following the rules and she she is aware of the environment mm-hmm. but not conscious uh, she she knows about the environment she she can see humans she can see uh, goal and opponents and so on and that's awareness but not consciousness what's the difference in consciousness and awareness because i think you, you this is a brilliant good example mm. and you are, and and to be clear here but how do you what is consciousness in you know to to be conscious and not aware what's the difference it's a bit hard or tricky question uh, i i would say that consciousness is about under shut it down <laughs> so Uh, is conscious about the low battery <laughs> she's level. conscious about her battery level i would argue she's or is she aware <laughs> uh, so i would say that it's an understanding on on the environment understanding what is 
a human what is mm. uh, opponent or goal and so on but she is not aware well, she she she, she is aware of the goal but she doesn't understand what it is the mm. the like semantics and mm. ontology and she can't uh connected to other stuff in the in the world only in the game she she mm. she is uh, very confined uh, reasoning space there yeah can, you, can, can you have to, a confined consciousness if we try to just elaborate a bit further and say that imagine you had a very confined space mm-hmm. very confined world mm-hmm. perhaps it's only the world of playing chess mm. the only thing you can do is take an action of moving some kind of piece on the board nothing else exists then um, it's easy to say that the virtual software would be very aware at least mm. of all the positions that you have and what actions to take. And you can sense what's happening in the game and you can take actions on it. And you can reason about that and perceive what's happening. Uh, is that still not consciousness, consciousness, but in a very like confined, like a narrow consciousness? Could you argue that uh, there is such a thing? Yeah, I, I could argue, argue that consciousness is in different levels you can be very high consciousness and low consciousness yeah. and that's also between humans if you have taking drugs maybe you are in the lower lower spectrum yes. and so on mm. so so yes uh, you you that's a spectra and if it's in a confined space vector space or whatever you have mm. there or the only thing that exists is the chess game yeah then it's consciousness in a within, within that field, yeah. I, I would actually say that, you know, similar to what Elon said, real world AI is, perhaps we have real world consciousness. Mm-hmm. And um, today's consciousness or awareness that Elsa has is very narrow, of mm. course. It doesn't understand what the... She can say that this, the, this is a glass, potentially, but mm. she doesn't really understand what a glass is. Exactly. She doesn't have the background exactly. knowledge of, of that. But that is also programmable. You can do an ontology about the glass and what you can use it for and so on. But if we add now the latest and biggest lang- mm. large language models, like exactly. GPT-3 mm. or mm. even greater ones, um, like Gopher or whatnot, that wouldn't... And, and basically you can ask them stuff and they can say something that they, they understand what the difference mm. understand is a, a sensitive term, but they at least have a larger, larger mm. understanding mm. in at least they what can the distinguish. glass is. Mm. And they, they can distinguish things. Mm. Mm. Yes. And like we get, you know, not to human level, of course, mm. but at least to a s- stronger level of understanding mm-hmm. of what objects mm. are. Would you agree with that as well? Yeah. So, so we, we can get closer to, yes. you know, it's not human level. Mm. Perhaps it's some kind of real world consciousness mm. that Tesla mm. cars have. But it's not human level, mm. but it is useful level. Mm. To at least it, then, it, then it became hard to tell the difference between awareness yes. and yeah. consciousness. That's why because I... We are blurring the line of... Uh, I like the way we started, that there is a difference between awareness and consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes sense to me. But can you can you have consciousness <laughs> without a conscience? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least to me, I, I don't want to go too deep in this, but in, at least for humans, we can very easily differentiate between unconscious and conscious mm, type mm, of actions mm, that we mm. take. At least that's one part of it. And, and we know that we can blink the eye without mm. taking a conscious mm, choice mm. of doing so. But then the eye is potentially aware that something is happening here it's just it's not conscious and the consciousness uh, consciousness 
aware of it. <laughs> so it's something about, I would argue, and please disagree, but it's something about the type two type of reasoning, mm. this kind of thinking fast and slow, Caymans, Caymans kind of thinking. So if you actually have huge amount of background knowledge, understand what things are, you have a good perception of the world, you have a world state, and then you have a type two reasoning system, then you get really close, mm, I mm, would argue, mm. to consciousness. Mm. Would you? Yeah, I, I agree in that yeah. as well. Yeah. And, uh, and Elsa doesn't have a type two system. Yet, no, or, no, yeah. no. Uh, okay. And let me, let, nor, nor background let, let me break the bubble, but I can mm. actually uh, try to close this. Mm. Why is it important that we understand these differences and, and understanding of this. Why is it quite interesting? When we are talking about these questions, we need to have common ground. So we, we know what we are talking about. And when we are talking with different researchers, you should also know that we are using the same understanding or the same definition of, of awareness. And I argue there are many levels of usefulness by really getting clear on this. I mean, like, first of all, we have the fundamental of collaborating and working together and making sense of it. Then I argue it has a quite huge impact on the whole field of uh, AI ethics and what is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. regulations and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So we are regulating the right stuff mm -hmm. and we understanding what it is we are regulating. It's a little bit like you said, we project feelings exactly. on her, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is scary stuff when people are projecting feelings and then that turns into regulation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I argue with several topics, but that, then I think even bigger, if you want to uh, solve more and more uh, sophisticated AI, I think you need to really understand what are the components and capabilities that that builds intelligence mm. or, you know, or build consciousness. There, ergo, you need to break it down into how do we define it? How do we, how do we work on it? You know, if we want to progress in the field. So mm. I think these fundamental questions become very important. And when people dismiss them, dismiss them as some kind of, you know, philosophical exactly. topic yes. that, you know, not worth even discussing. But I think we, we need to have this in the education system yeah, as well. Yeah. Exactly. More philosophy, more right. ethics and so on, both uh, in high school, but also at the university for engineers to, to read at least one course in philosophy. Cool. Oh, I, I yeah. just got a really good uh, general question we take later yeah. when we come to singularity <laughs> and all this. I have okay. a question. Okay. In, Keep this. it in mind. Or should yeah, we write it down? No, no, no. Keep it. I have it. Eric, what yes. is RoboCup? Uh, yeah. Uh, RoboCup is an initiative from 98, I think, uh, where we want to benchmark different universities, different algorithms against each other. And they was thinking about how should we benchmark it what, what is a good rule book uh, for benchmarking robots? And they was thinking about different like robot wars and so on, but figure out that sports are very well known and they have a clear uh, rule book. And what is the best and biggest sport in the world? Mm. It's football. Mm. So then they started- According to Swedes and European- No, it's, 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 it's the Perhaps. biggest sport in terms of utövare. Uh, yes. You, yeah. what do you Participants. Call it? Participants, or, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we, uh, they started uh, RoboCup 98 in soccer and different size leagues, like small size league, middle size league. And we have also- Software league, right? 
a virtual, yes, simulation. virtual league, simulation league as well. Uh, Sweden was part of that league in the early, uh, what do you say, zero? 2000? 2000s, yeah. Uh, and also we have humanoid leagues like... Um, that started in, was it 2005, four or something? Or when did the humanoid league start? Yeah, in the beginning they had uh, these dogs, Sony, yeah. Aibo dog. Uh, but I think the humanoid is from 2004 or something yeah, like that. I think so. And then they have kid side, uh, kid well, size, teeth. Like, and, and there was uh, no humanoid at that no, time at least. And, and, are you playing with the same? So you, this is a soft bank. Yeah. So, robots, so, right? so there are a lot of different categories and nowadays they are even more competitions than the soccer one. Uh, we have at home with service robots, we have rescue robots, we have a lot of different leagues and both, uh, software like virtual, but also this, uh, now robot Elsa is a now. Uh, robot is a standard platform league. So everyone has the same hardware and that platform league has changed from the Aibo robot dog, mm, uh, from Sony to this, uh, now platform, I think in 2010 or 2011 or something like that, it changed. Is it now. a full size humanoid league as well? Yes. Adult size, adult size. And then they build the robots from scratch by, uh, the teams. So it's both hardware and software development. And they, sh uh, the match there is two against two, I think one. Uh, goalkeeper and one uh, normal player and uh, they, they are so expensive it's really expensive to build a adult size robot so uh, and they are so so slow you can look at them and they're trying to kick the ball and it takes five minutes to kick a ball so which which game do you think is the best to watch uh, middle size league I like, uh, they are using wheels and robots are really fast, like 20 kilometers an hour oh. and they are moving around and it's quite big field as well. And they can shoot the ball and make it uh, like in the air, uh, over other players and so on. So it's uh, really interesting to see. And usually the winners in the middle size leagues meet humans. And they are getting better and better, closer and closer to and the humans. There. The goal was to beat. Exactly. In 2050, uh, they should beat the human winners of FIFA. So the human players that won FIFA, win FIFA will meet the robots and probably the robot will win. Mm. I remember I saw the middle-sized league back mm. in 2001 mm. or something. Mm. And at that time, they're probably much better today. Mm. But at that time, you know, they had this kind of shovel wheels. Yeah, they have, they have still. Okay. Mm. And, uh, but then it, they weren't really sophisticated and they had a lot of rules. So you're not allowed to like push other opponents mm -hmm. or even co-players mm -hmm. around. But sometimes, you know, have this shovel wheel rotating really quickly. If, if they, instead of the ball <laughs> hits another player, the player that <laughs> flies out the field. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was, uh, they got a warning or a red card or something, I guess, for that. <laughs> But I, I hope the, the the safety around these uh, robots, uh, if they play humans, is yeah, significantly. And how you improved. have you been successful? Have you competed, uh, or is it every four year, every year, or every year it is? And they are actually changing the rules also to make the competition harder and harder and more uh, like the human uh, rules. So in the beginning it was on flat surface, and then they had some 
textile and now they are more like a mat uh, so it's harder and harder for the robots to walk on it because it should be more human-like and in the soccer we haven't been so successful but i have also been participating in rescue and in rescue i have been quite successful at least in the junior so they are both for university and junior leagues are up to 19 years old mm. and uh, in junior i have been on the second place uh in rescue and then we are sending in a robot looking for victims after an earthquake for example searching uh, and also delivering some water bottles and so on medical kits for these victims in in this building and i have also been part of the at home league where we have a service robot and we have been quite successful in the, that as well and we there we are using the pepper robot from the same company as now it's softbank robotics and the standard platform league so everyone has the same hardware mm. awesome. but it's so big i mean mm. like so uh, yeah it's I mean, a this, huge competition this is something that you know if you're into it and if you experience it's huge right but i, but I think when i was in china it was four thousand robots oh really oh really that's amazing so really big who would you say is the best in the world right now when it comes to robocop in terms of what continent, uh, <laughs> university, country, anyone that you can Depends. Uh, Australia is good in soccer and yeah. also in at home. Uh, Asian countries are good, but it's more like not the country itself because you, you compete as your university. So Bremen in Germany is good. Mm. Uh, Which Australian university are we talking about? uh or ANU or Canberra Yes the ANU are, are great yes yeah mm. I think Gutman highlighted that he, he went to ANU yeah, right. <laughs> because yeah. because of this Cool and um, the time is flying away here mm -hmm. we we have to you know cover at least your background <laughs> as well so I thought you know we can go through a bit of all the companies that you have right mm -hmm. now and just quickly give some description of what you do there Yeah So, so I worked at the university and I got bored about, or not bored, but it was so slow. So I published some paper. I was at a conference and it never came out in the wild to, to the general public. Mm -hmm. So then I started Dyna Robotics four years ago. Yeah. And Dyna Robotics tries to commercialize papers and algorithms and do, do products of the, out of the research. And we are focusing in robotics in general, like navigation, planning, computer vision, natural language processing. So we have developed chatbots, physical, like this kind of robots. We are doing mainly software, but we have a workshop with welding and we are doing PCBs as well, the hardware itself. And could you give an example of, um, of a project or a, uh, something mm -hmm. that is in commercially you can, I can, we can buy from you or, or yeah, projects you, you, you have sold? You, we don't have any off the shelf solutions. No. We don't have like, you can buy this in our web shop, but we have uh, done a dredging robot that is going under uh, this uh, lake and dredging the seabed. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we have done a uh, cleaning robot that can go in the parking lots, cleaning outdoor, like a uh, sweeping machine. And uh, we are working together with many companies as a consultancy, helping companies with their innovation system and helping them 
uh, test different so, proof so of concept. The, what's the typical engagement? If if oh, it sounds like an awesome mm. company. Mm. How, how should I engage? Or what what is it that I'm buying? Like, is it consulting a lot or supporting yeah, like ABB? You, or you, like? No, in not so much industrial robots. We are not doing robot integrate. Integration, integration for no. for industrial robots, but for example, Siemens, we have done a telepresence robot, so they can uh, use that robot. They send it for a tur- turbine, and the robot can go into the turbine, and they control it remotely, mm. and then we get the full project. So we are not like a normal consultancy hiring out a programmer. Yeah, you're trying to solve a solution. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, so we something d- proprietary for them. Exactly, exactly. We we are taking the full project in the innovation mm. uh, department and we do it in our facilities so we take mm. it we sit in our facilities with our workshop and programmers and solving a problem for them fantastic and uh, sorry last question um, this is so cool mm. how much of this is typically software related and how much is mechanical or uh, physical we, yeah we, we as the uh, team are better in software so we are looking more into software mm. development but we we can do and we have a farm of 3d printers i don't know how many maybe mm. 20 3d printers and we have like a workshop as well uh, but we are better in software development yeah and, and but uh, um, maybe if i reframe the question these projects even if you're doing it together with mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that is it always both mechanical or no, physical stuff we have, and we, have done, we have done completely software pro- project as well where we are de- developing uh, reinforced learning for example for Saab mm-hmm. uh, and we have also bought some robot platforms for mm. example these kind of humanoids we can buy them and we develop software and then we sell okay. it to the clients so you find a platform that is suitable for the problem and, sometimes, then, you, and yes. then you develop this sometimes yes awesome and sometimes we so, develop the hardware I, I, as well i get, I get it mm. So that's one one of the companies, and then another company. We uh, I I have had my own company, Fredrik Finulig, uh, <laughs> since <laughs> since uh, way back, and giving lectures and consultancy and so on. And in the pandemic, uh, they people ask me, "Can you do a lecture? Give a lecture over Skype?" And I said, "Yes, of course, I can give a lecture o- over Skype." But you know that it's from 2003; it's 17 years old. And I, uh, they said, "Oh, we thought that uh, video meetings was the new cool thing here." And I said, "No, no, no. Let's go into the next phase. In the 20s, we are using virtual reality and the metaverse." Mm. Uh, and they asked, what, "What is metaverse?" And I said, "Let me demonstrate it." So I went up to Stockholm to their headquarter at that company and had some uh, headsets with me. I didn't own my own headset, so I borrowed it from friends. And I was there and demonstrated how how can we use it, and they said this is mind blowing. This is so cool. We need to do this. And then their event organizer they had hired for this conference said, uh, "We are out of here. We 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 can't do this. It's too too much technology." Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the full conference went into my uh, really? my knee to to solve this. And uh, I went back to my robotics company, Dyn Robotics, and said, "We put the robot projects on hold and let us create a virtual conference here." So instead of CADing uh, robot parts, we was making a stage. Uh, we need uh, 
and uh, yeah, everything you need in a conference. And the clients want uh, balloons, they want roll-ups and everything. So we did that and we organized the conference in April 2020, so in the beginning of the pandemic. And it was a huge success and it was so fun to move around there. We had 300 participants in the VR environment and the CFO could have the economic presentation with a laser pointer Mm -hmm. and integrated to PowerPoint and everything and communicating with each other. And one strong advantage here is that we can all be talking at the same time and we can have two groups, one group standing in one place and another in another place, and they won't interfere with each other. In Teams or Zoom, we have one at a time talking. Of course, you can do breakout rooms, but here we have the spatial dimension so you can move around. So when after the conference, we have a mingle on a rooftop in in a scene like Miami. So we were standing <laughs> on a roof in Miami and I we he- heard Dips. all the soaring. Everyone was talking around and it was fantastic. And that conference was quite, uh, uh, what do you say? People was talking about it and it got in the newspapers and the TV, SVT was doing something about it. So after that, uh, Ericsson called us, Saab called us, Ikea called us. And I thought that we can't continue doing this in the robotics company because we need to continue on with the robotics projects. So then we founded a new company called Around the Corner where we are doing, where we was doing more and more conferences. We had maybe during the pandemic, 60 conferences, some smaller, but also some larger with several hundred people. But now it's, uh, the conferences are dropping, uh, but we see more and more like selling uh, showrooms. So instead of having a PowerPoint with your pitch, you can walk into the PowerPoint, having your products in three dimensions, you can take your clients with you in there and you don't need to use this VR Google's glasses. You can go into the web browser. You just send a link and then you are in a virtual environment and you can walk around together with the client and explaining your services and so on. And how do you, maybe I'm jumping now, but uh, mm-hmm. this leads me straight into, is this metaverse or what yes, is metaverse? I, I would say that it's metaverse. Metaverse is about uh, social VR. You can be several, it's multi-user or multiplayer environment and you can display 3D objects and you can interact with each other and the environment. So you can, for example, have a compliance guide and you can do some quiz and training and so on. That's metaverse. But then you can also say that metaverse is connected to Bitcoin and connected to NFTs and that hype over there. But I think the main uh, or the original idea is this virtual environment yeah, because, where you can move around. This was my argument. So like the, the core definition of metaverse is a, is a social vir- place exactly. in, in a virtual space. I would say so. Yes. Something like this. Yes. Right. And then, and then of course we have all these different tangents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, when you start Yes. Going nuts of what, exactly. how you could, exactly. what you could do but and how we, you could we, monetize it. I, instead of using bitcoins, we have done an integration to Swish. So we can do payments over Swish and you can sign it uh, and pay. And we have done that for Musik Hjelpen, this uh, Swedish program, national TV and radio. You can donate money over Swish and so on. 
So it's possible to connect it to the physical so, world. So when did B- Bitcoin become a part of, of metaverse? Because I don't mm-hmm. know. Blockchain, I guess. Or blockchain, I should say. Mm. Yeah, I think it ha- has always been, or people are like the crypto guys are talking about it and want it to be part of some community. Exactly. <laughs> they found <laughs> out. They want to find a place. <laughs> that's that's fun, that's <laughs> fun, a fluffy definition of something. Metaverse is a fluffy <laughs> definition. Perhaps that's crypto. blockchain can be part mm. of it as well. Oh, oh shit. Uh, sorry. I'm I'm dashing or <laughs> yeah, ranting. Bashing, yeah, yeah. We, we are also doing that. But that's around the corner and we are doing more and more like showrooms and even studios. So we could have this uh, pod from within Metaverse and we have virtual cameras and so on. And then we can be wherever we want and you can use it as a part of your uh, uh like storytelling i can snap my fingers and then we are in a new environment so instead of just having your 2d powerpoint you can use the full environment to present your stuff and 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 how do you see this what why is this useful for example it's easier to grasp and topic if i'm talking about proteins we had a huge conference for protein researchers, it's easier if we have the molecule or the protein or the virus in front of us and we can discuss it and we can uh, tear it apart instead of just showing an animation. So it's easier to grasp complex topics. If I'm talking about math, I can have the plane and lines and intersections very visible and Yeah, it, it's more intuitive to have it in 3D. We, we are used to work in the 3D environment. We are 3D bodies. And then, then it's unnatural so, so, to, to work on the screen. So, so in a way, if, if we stretch our imagination here, we, we, we are not in the future in the same way consuming something on a screen. Exactly. We are I, walking into the presentation as an experience. I, I would say so, yes. And I think... Today, it's quite unnatural to do the shopping on the screen or do, do all our interaction on phones or computer screens or TV. I think we will in maybe 10 or less years have more 3D content with AR or VR. We can have more 3D content and also record it. Today, we are taking pictures in 2D. I think in the future, we can take pictures and videos in three dimensions as well. So we can uh, record information, much uh, higher dimension and much richer content. How do you see um, the future of Facebook now called Meta exactly, yeah. playing in, out in this? Um, mm. I mean, Meta or yeah, previous Facebook has like halved in value now in the last, I don't know, half a mm. year or something. Mm. But I don't um, think that's uh, connected to the name change. No. Okay. We agreed. Uh, <laughs> but so. still, uh, they are claiming, you know, mm. they, they've been popularizing at least the term metaverse. Yes, yes a lot. A lot. Yes. And, uh, so, and I'm riding on the hype. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Do you, what, what do you think about if we take Mark Zuckerberg or meta in general, What do you think that will be the, the main like metaverse going forward? Or do you think that we have, we have a lot of different competing platforms today and the Facebook meta platform is not so major. We have better ones from Microsoft called Altspace, for example. We have a lot of different startups, Spatial and uh, Mozilla Foundation have also one called Hubs Mm. that is open source. And I think it's very great one. We have another one called Frame VR. So there are competing metaverses yeah, so and they are is, not competing but i think this is very good to unpack right mm. because there's so 
extreme media Mm-hmm. Uh, circus, mm-hmm. uh, especially when Zuckerberg and Facebook yeah. is around, and all of a sudden he sort of, uh, for the non-initiated, well, uh, Meta they, invented yeah, Metaverse, they, and they that's the place the, to be. The Metaverse, but yeah. the, it's not n- not, and, the, not the, the Metaverse. And, and would you even argue that it's not even the most mature in terms no. of sophistication, no. in terms of how you can experience it? They are definitely not the most mature. Um, but they are having a large team on it. So, so when they when they put their money behind this, exactly, they might accelerate. be, might be, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's hard to tell. And <laughs> it's when the internet was new that you had a lot of different competing uh, agencies working. But, but I think this is the scary part because mm. internet to me is open source first and no mm. one can really own the internet or no one can can sort of i don't know how you uh, for me it becomes really strange when one company is 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 trying to dominate what you know the, mm. the space mm-hmm. do you see I, I see that on the internet you have a lot of companies doing web pages like yeah. Uh, they are selling web pages. Yeah. They, they are not. No one is owning internet, but you have content providers to the internet. Yeah, yeah. And course. you can say the same here. You have Microsoft as a content provider, or Facebook as a content provider, maybe. But you do have, you know, huge. Yeah, you do. I guess tech giants. Yes, I, 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 I just realized what I said was not correct. Exactly. Uh, I just realized that, especially in these days when some other or some specific people are buying like mm. social media. Mm. You know, yeah. And dominating with a few number of people and companies mm-hmm. in extreme yeah. how internet works mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And but, uh, yeah, what do you think about that? Do you think it's if it's we take okay, problematic? Musk, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think about Elon Musk buying Twitter? He has good intentions, uh, but I think it's hard to like having open speech today uh, because you will get a lot of problems with uh, racism and. Uh, harassment and yes exactly exactly illegal content so it's it's he he has quite a hard job here to figure out where is the line how Mm. how hard should we moderate it or not but but uh, and i I must jump in Mm -hmm. i can't bite i i'm not biting my tongue but like because if i'm super cynical If I'm super cynical, if you're in a position where you want to buy Twitter, of course, your rhetoric, <laughs> why you do it, needs to be exactly what he says. Mm-hmm. But is that the? But how do we reason? know? Is that the real objective, or is it the a complete opposite? To basically be able to have a platform for his, uh, you know, you let's, let's go all the way. Malevolent, malevolent in, intent. I don't know, mm. but, but, but ultimately, you he, can. He has you always, have the ability of a propaganda machine. Yeah, of course, but he has always been pro free yeah. speech, yeah. and he has always like not love. Yeah, since since the beginning, talking about these values. No, so I, I think he has these values. Okay, so then then I think the problem is this. It's become scary that who has the most money buys mm-hmm, the propaganda mm-hmm, machine. Mm-hmm. We are then in the hands of the ethics mm, of, of the that, buyer, yeah, and now true. and he now can here steer he can well. steer the ethics, right? And and all of a sudden, okay, I really hope 
he is a malevolent ma- ma- dictator, yeah. right? Yeah. I really You're that benevolent, right? Benevolent. So <laughs> ma- <laughs> I don't hope it's malevolent. <laughs> maybe, maybe that was my Freudian slip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. Okay. But um, it's, that's the problem, right? Mm, I mean, like, so mm. we can only hope that he has the right intentions. Even before he bought it, it's people owning Twitter. Yeah. So it, it's not like an. No, a, it's not a change. It's exactly, not a change exactly. in mechanics. Oh, it's, in some sense. It's a change because before it was, it was a public several. trading yeah. company. Several. So they yes, had to own mm. to the stockholders and mm. shareholders mm. that they had. Mm. Now it's a single person mm. that can literally decide, you know, how, how it will yes. evolve. Yeah, and, and it's, an, it's another dimension in it. It's like if you have an owner who only does this, mm. that's one dynamics. Mm. If, if you have an owner who does this, and but the real empire is over here, mm. it's a different dynamic mm. in ownership. Mm. 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 Potentially, I, I'm, I'm, you know, optimistic but person. I hope this will be a uh, change to the better. Positive. Mm. But it's really but up it's, to him. it's dangerous that it it's concentrating the power to a few, even mm. fewer people. Mm. That's and we have seen it, right? like uh, Jeff Bezos bought Washington Post. So good point. L- yeah, good a lot point. of these uh, rich uh, people are buying media houses or yeah. media platforms, and why? Yeah, I mean, and, and here is a little bit like, I, I think we should, uh, we should see, I see Elon as, uh, uh, you know, he has the right intentions, mm. but at the same time, let's not be naive, mm. you know, you know, uh, that's what I'm saying. Mm. I mean, it's like democracy in general. Of course, we, I think we should fight for it. Uh, certainly mm. very important to me, but we know that democracy is not actually the perfect way to, uh, to optimize a society mm-hmm. is just the, the best way that be, we be, know yeah, yeah. that we have. And now mm-hmm. it's actually turning the other way in terms of how social media is controlled. It's not going potentially, mm. but I, I, of course, Elon Musk is arguing the opposite saying, you know, by providing open speech and free speech mm-hmm. is actually improving democracy. Mm. So I choose to believe that's yeah. the case is still, it's a bit concerning that, you know, power is, concentrated to the fuse. Yeah. Uh, the problem is how to do it differently. Because yeah. we get, we get to the same problem we're talking about, oh, we need a, we need a European cloud provider to compete mm. with mm. the, you know, and it's the same, right? There needs to be someone stepping up mm. for free mm. speech mm. or, you know, or should you do it state government own free speech, you know, as a platform? I don't know if that's any better. Probably but you, you have this direct democracy or like that's, th- thing and you can uh, vote in every question or you can have someone voting for you. Mm. Like in Switzerland mm. almost mm. at least. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's move to another topic if we can. And we, mm-hmm. <laughs> how, uh, well, is, well, we more companies, <laughs> use more, uh, is it yeah. those two or the no, two no, main I, companies? I, I have five. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, yeah, Actually, I have mentioned three. Fredrik Fenuli is for the lectures. So yeah. that was the one I was invited as around the corner. Uh, is the Metaverse company, Dyna Robotics robot company. I have also a company called Safe Reaction. We are doing sound analysis, AI for identify, identification after a crime. We can see if someone has broken a window, glass window, or if someone is uh, firing a gun. Uh, so the identifying different kind of uh, events. We, in we have an after after work talk here coming up. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, so that's uh, safe reaction. And then I also. Uh, so basically, how, how would you describe what, what what are they trying to do? Uh, uh, identifying events, uh, preventing crimes, or identifying mm. uh, when it have happened a crime. We can send alarm to the security guards or the police, mm. and uh, we can also using this uh, AI identify. Uh, if we have a bicycle that has a special noise, we can have the fingerprint of that noise and we can see the bike in a new uh, part of the city. We can correlate that it But, should be uh, the so same. Essentially, I mean, like we have computer vision and mm. we have CCT and yeah, now what happens when you flip this story to sound? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the same. But the CCT cams can't see around corners. No. They can't see if it's dark. And usually if you want to uh, do a crime, you can look for the cameras and shoot these yeah, cameras and, and first. And you have the whole privacy, the whole computer exactly, vision exactly. regulatory and issue. And also in a cam, it's hard. You can see someone is pointing with a gun, but you can't see when it's fired no. or if it's fired. You can just see that someone is holding it. But in the sound, it's really easy to identify. Now we wow. have a shot. And when it was mm, yeah. exactly, exactly, and in dark and so on, we 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 have problems seeing, uh, and with sound we can also triangulate where it came from. Cool. Any more companies? I think the last one. Yeah. <laughs> if I uh, can, can we just mention perhaps a bit more about Quinnit uh, Kampen? Also, I mean, you were part of that and won that as well. Can you? How did that work? Mm. What? So, so it was a program. I, I thought it was more about uh, solving hard math problems. <laughs> when when I searched for it, uh, it, I was part of the first season, so it, it was impossible to know what I was going to do in in the program. Uh, but in first episode, we was up in an aircraft and we should jump parachuting down the <laughs> earth and looking for numbers and mysteries on on uh, big fields. So fun. <laughs> it was really, really fun, but it was not what I was <laughs> expecting to do. Uh, so it, it was like a combination, if you know, Mestarnas Mestare with Mickey Leinegård was uh, the host of both these shows. Uh, so it was a bit physical as well. We was running around and trying to solve problems, but also a lot uh, like... Uh, general knowledge about history, about different Swedish kings and the so music. So ultimately, it's a television show. You are solving problems. Yes, and it's it, it's it's a it's a show. It's a it's a game show or whatever you want to call it. Where in the end, someone wins. wins. Yes, yes. It's a different episode, and each episode, someone is uh, eliminated. Eliminated. Yes, in the evening uh, du <laughs> duel. duel. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and you need to solve different problems in the duel, like EQ puzzles and so on. Uh, and it was so broad. So it was not only science uh, or uh, about math and uh, uh, programming. It was also about music and history, history. and uh, geographical knowledge. We had one competition. We had a blank <laughs> map and we should paint all countries and find out where is Malaysia and where is uh, Kathmandu and so on. Point it out on the map as good as possible. Of really general knowledge. Exactly, exactly. And also some physical competitions like we should build a trebuchet, like a catapult, and oh. shoot uh, bowling balls <laughs> up on... So a, mechanics, right? Yes, mechanics and uh, carpentry to build yeah, it. Yeah, carpentry, that's yeah. right. 
So it was broad and very, very fun. And uh, how long did it take to, the, to, I think to we shoot was, the show? I think we was there um, three weeks or maybe one, one month. So it was quite intense. We had competitions every day and recording every day and a lot of interviews like the, yeah, yeah. the syncs uh, they, they do and then they cut out small parts. So maybe they record two hours interviews each day and they uh, cut out. Where, where was it? Where were you? Where did they stash uh, you, so to speak? <laughs> Outside of New Shopping uh, okay. at a military air, airplane field. Oh. Uh, you've been part of so many That's awesome so events. <laughs> I, <know. So> fun, <laughs> I have so to cool. at least add one. <laughs> We're not going to go through all of them, but it would be fun to speak about the TV for No, but let's not go there. <laughs> let's take another one on SVT that I thought mm-hmm. was both interesting, but also concerning to some extent. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the AI debate, mm-hmm. or as you say in Swedish, mötet. Yes. And you debated against a more like AI robotics skeptic, I would mm-hmm. call him. And I think, you know, this type of setup that they have in this show is problematic to start with. But perhaps you can... S- Just describe it a bit more. What yeah, was method? How did it get started? What were you planning the to The program ID is to find uh, like controversies or uh, you, yeah. you should be really against something or really for something. Yes. And then you should debate it. And I think it's quite good as well. You, you might think it's a bad idea about the show, but then it's clear about the argument. It's really clear about what is against it. What, what can you argue for it and what can you argue against it so it's a good tv program if you want to learn the arguments mm-hmm. uh, i can buy that partly <laughs> okay i mean can you really have an objective discussion in that show depends on the subject regarding ai yes regarding Uh, if Frölunda should change their logotype, maybe no. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what's your concern on this here? You yeah, think but, okay, I can get into that. But perhaps we should just describe a bit mm. more what happened at that Yeah, point. I, so I was there and we were uh, firstly filming some background. I was in my lab uh, working with robots. Uh, my opponent, if I yeah. am yeah. allowed to say so, was out in the forest doing meditation. So there we started the contrast. They, they start building the contrast. Exactly. They, exactly. They're, they're positioning you. Between the natural human in the forest and the nerd in the <laughs> lab. <laughs> they really pigeonhole you both, of course. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then we met uh, for the first time with the cams on. So we haven't had any time Uh, talking before we e- even didn't know each other beforehand and we met with the cameras on and we started to discuss and uh, the tv was also like we, we don't have any moderator or host of the show so it's oh, only really? me and him talking back and forth and then they but you have a manuscript or something or not not really but we had some questions yeah we, we, we wrote questions for each other beforehand so i okay. wrote some questions for him and he wrote questions for me or quotations maybe you have said this uh what do you think about it or why did you say this so it's a lot of quotation they have found online and so on that i have said like for example i have in one of my lectures said we might have a prime minister that is a robot in the future and then he he was (laughs) shaking his hand uh, head and saying that this is impossible and it's it's bad and we should never ever have a politician that is a robot and then i need to argue yes maybe we can have it because it will not be any um 
like um, what do you say mutor bribes and and yeah. you, you can't influence them exactly exactly so so it's more objective uh, and not so much uh, feelings in the decisions and so on and we we continue like this back and forth and he was more and more upset and he was always uh re, re restating himself or you are a behaviorist you are just judging the robots from their behaviors and so on and in the end he was more screaming like you are a fascist and you you should it was not absurd I, I, <laughs> this is almost like he should get uh, you know you, you could file a lawsuit i think to him um, the way he acted but, actually but uh, it, it was a long uh discussion here i think we was discussing discussing this two hours or three hours and they then cut they, the good pieces out yeah, for television. yeah. <laughs> make, make it one quarter or something like that but the reason he said so was that i i said that robots can be smarter than humans robot can out intelligence uh humans and that was fascism because you shouldn't say that someone is smarter than someone else and you shouldn't divide people in groups or robots and humans what is problematic with with this argument when i listen to it is that there's so fundamentally different understanding and knowledge of the concepts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you are actually not talking about the same stuff exactly exactly and he he isn't here to to defend, defend himself no. but but uh, it was a bit absurd and she, he was also saying that i was uh, breaking the international laws and mm-hmm. yeah a lot of things and i was asking is it only me and he said no the, f- the whole field of ai researchers and the whole mm-hmm. field are like uh, betraying the humanity yeah. <laughs> And what, since what is not since he is not here, we shouldn't mention his name. I don't mm. think um, in his sake. But I, I think it's really problematic when you set up a discussion to be um, a controversy to start with. Mm-hmm. It, it's like these kind of um, you have this kind of straw manning versus steel manning argumentation techniques, mm. um, and straw manning, you know, this kind of idea that you, you just you know say the the how should you phrase it some kind of the worst part of the other person's argumentation you just focus on that mm. in a potentially not very objective way and mm. you don't do it in objectively giving pros and cons etc just focus on one part of it and keep bashing and there is no i would argue no no way that you could ever come to some kind of knowledge objective truth consensus or but that useful not, that is not the purpose of the show i know but uh, that's that's the bad thing that's what <laughs> i think is bad uh, but what, you are typical swedish why should we reach consensus in every <laughs> no but you should at least strive for Ooh, it good one, <laughs> you, like you don't it. need to nice. if you if you don't want to that's fine but at least you should strive for it i think if you if you strive for finding disagreement it's so easy to do i mean it, it's like the the if you want to complain or find you know destructive versus constructive type of argumentation destructive is 10 times but my, easier my goal of being part of the show was not to convince him it, yeah. it, uh, that was not my goal but my goal was to convince the audience that yes. i was right i'm so, not argu- i mean i think it's awesome that you did it yeah but I'm more you know annoyed with the <laughs> one the way but i think it's a good show still even though i was called a racist and so on i think it's good for the audience to see the opponent's 
arguments and then they can d- make their own decisions. So, so it's more about reaching consensus with the audience yeah. than him. Maybe. I, I still think, you know, people that are not willing to engage in a constructive discussion should not be promoted to these kind of platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but, but the bottom line was the format is different. The format is uh, antagonism yes, in this way. Yes, of course. Yeah. And then you can argue, is that good or bad? And you highlight as well, to look at the extremes, mm. sometimes mm. the polarizing views mm. helps it's us to see understand the full, the full picture, right? Mm-hmm. Polarizing mm-hmm. views actually broadens your view mm. from, so it's, you're not only here, you're not only here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, this, this is they, the And they asked me to be extreme. Yeah. They asked me to talk more I extreme. Know. And that's the problem in some, I mean, it makes good television, mm-hmm. yes. And, and of course, that's what their point was. Mm. But, but from I, a more science point or scientific point of view. Yeah, of course, but that's not, completely different. It is. Yeah, but, but just making good television. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's my, this no, is my but I, I actually, I follow your argu- argument when you say the polarizing views broadens the whole horizon that for the viewer to really understand how mm, far, mm, how, mm, how big mm. is this. But from any constructive uh, if you want to learn something. If you want to learn something or constructively move something forward, uh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's very similar to what's happening right now on Twitter uh, about the discussion between, I would say, Jean Lecun and Gary Marcus, mm-hmm. you know, the deep learning versus symbolic AI kind of discussion. And they are so polarized mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. that the only thing, you know, Gary Marcus is doing, and I'm a bit extreme, but he's strawmanning Jan Lecun. And yeah, Lecun is doing the same. You know, Jan Lecun, who is supposed to be one of the foremost mm, scientists mm, in the world, mm, mm. wrote a tweet that I think is qu- very questionable, saying, put up or shut up. Basically saying, you know, you can argue all you want for a symbolic AI, but unless you can actually show something that works, then don't even speak about it. Put mm. up mm-hmm. or shut up. Mm, yeah. I mean, you shouldn't speak like that. I, I don't think it's good. Mm. It's not really helping you to, to come up with constructive arguments. This kind of, you know, polarizing discussions, I, I think is a bit dangerous. And, you know, I think if you instead have this kind of steel manning arguments where you have to think, okay, if I were to do the best that I can mm. to think myself into the position of the opponent and make the best argument I can for my opponent and then do vice versa, normally that is so yes. much more constructive. Yes. Ah. This is ah, interesting philosophical kind of but, but thing. If, but if I'm quite often part of these panels, uh, mm. after my lecture, I'm invited to be part of the panel, and it's so boring to listen if everyone is saying yes, I agree, yes, I agree, and sitting there nodding together and feeling so great together. Then it's much better if we have one skeptical and one mm, yeah. positive, and then they can have a discussion. And I. It's also like I can change my mind just to have more discussion because no, it's a I, better. I usually be- do the same. Yeah, exactly. Actually. Then, I, then I you are my, my side here. It's better discussion if you you're arguing. Not if you're arguing, but <laughs> if if someone is not demonstrating both sides of a mm. coin, you have to take the other side of the coin, mm. even though you don't believe fully in it. So maybe you're doing that, that now. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yes, actually. <laughs> Um, but actually I am doing that if I were, or I am in some kind of panel, I can see the discussion is so one-sided mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. I can easily take the yes. other side. Yes. Even because though you know the arguments. 
Yeah, but but also because of discussion, mm-hmm. because I don't think the discussion is going well, as mm. you said, because it's just everyone is agreeing. So then you are on my side that we should have polarized discussions. No, we should have objective discussion. <laughs> I, I do not agree. <laughs> do not agree. <laughs> no. Okay. So the difference is that if we have a one-sided discussion, that's bad. Mm. If you have a polarizing discussion, that's bad. Mm-hmm. What you want to have is a double-sided constructive discussion mm-hmm. that is what I'm striving for if i see it's being too polarized because of straw manning then i want to argue against that mm. if i see it's being one sided because everyone is agreeing then i take the other mm. side mm. but in a constructive way mm. so okay this is a rant <laughs> well, so it's a rant now but it's good it's a good rant mm-hmm. objective mm. constructive discussions i think is very important mm. if it's subjective you know one sided you do something take the other side mm. if it's destructive you know just polarizing then you try to steal man or do something mm. about that so, so 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 let me try to alleviate the the discussion why, why is this important why is it important that we have good discussions and and, and that this is happening because you want to strive for knowledge knowledge this should bottom line for the is truth. bottom line uh, two-sided views objectivity the full spectrum mm. is needed to gain real mm-hmm. knowledge mm-hmm. to gain true uh, closer yeah. to the truth yeah. mm-hmm. and and actually to build in a balanced point of view mm-hmm. and why do we need that oh, we need that for regulation again we need that for coming up with the best mm-hmm. solutions mm-hmm. i mean the definition of science is basically to build knowledge in my view and yeah if you want to build knowledge and believe in science then this is what you should strive yeah. for mm-hmm. and, and therefore how we debate how we discuss yeah. how we are acting these and how we take different positions Uh, to help the knowledge building uh, for the greater good uh, it's that's what we're talking about here Fredrik you also participate uh, even these years you know to help young kids learn mm. math etc mm-hmm. can can you give an example of what do you do, yeah, we, do that? We, for example next week i will give a lecture about ai for kids aged 7 mm-hmm. to 10 or something like that wow that's uh, an interesting one. yeah and i have also been out in kindergarten talking about ai so it's uh, like the the younger they are that's the more interesting it is because i need to adapt how i explain ai and neural networks and so on so it's quite interesting challenge for me as well uh, but i think it's important because i was there when i was young i have no one to ask about uh, math or programming my parents didn't know about programming so i was searching alone alone on alta vista or something like that trying to figure out it myself or alta vista you were like seven years old then yes (laughs) (laughs) and i had internet on fridays evenings okay Okay. uh trying to figure out c plus (laughs) plus but but how important is it that that we have these role models for you know for we can talk about children we Mm. can talk i think it's important uh, girls and boys yeah i think more important is that the children have someone to ask about these topics role models are, are of course very important i think especially for girls because we need more girls into uh, technical field it field and then role models are important me as a boy i i can find my role models already but i need to have someone to ask my questions about black holes about the universe but about math uh, integration and, and so on but, but let me uh, and why do we want 
to raise the curiosity or, you know, asking questions, have someone to ask. I, I think it has a co- connection to curiosity. Mm-hmm. Curiosity leads down to f- people expanding their minds of mm-hmm. what they could do or what, exactly. they, what they're passionate about. And they and can solve new problems and see the world in new ways and mm-hmm. figure out new solutions on the climate crisis, on the yeah. AI problems and so on. So, so that's something that we want to evolve the humanity. We want to yeah. be the next generation should be more clever and more uh, have gained more knowledge than our generation. And, and are we better at this in 2022? I think so, yes. I, I, I think we are getting better and better on that. And also with the internet and uh, YouTube and tutorials and so on, you can learn much easier today than 20 years ago. That is... So that's. But I, I also argue we are. Uh, are we? I mean, like I look at my children. Mm-hmm. So t- I, I fully agree with you. But the, the information is there. Mm-hmm. It has never been easier to learn. But at the other side, I, I think uh, to some degree, when I look at my children, I think they uh, they are even more narrow-minded in what their interests are and what they're doing compared to. When I was a kid, because we were, you know, we were playing games and on, on computer games. Now we were out in the uh, building, uh, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I, I see the children is in one way they have all the opportunities to learn and do all these things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I see they, they're getting more and more iPadified mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> we want to call it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? So yeah, it, I understand. This yes. is the, the craziness mm-hmm. of it all. Mm-hmm. And then I think this can't. Ca- Camps I organize are great because there they can get uh, hands on an arena or robots or whatever. And they, they try it. And if they are trying, like doing a robot, they might get more interested in yeah, that and course. then continue on in their free time. Yeah. So I think if I, I have never been a gamer, I have never find interest in playing games. Mm-hmm. I think it's much more interesting to do games than play games. And uh, I think if we can open that for more children's that it's actually like creating a game is a more challenging game than than playing it it's more interesting uh challenge there then people can do that in their free time but they need uh what do you say tola mood they need patience uh, patience uh they won't get this kick in the uh, fast way as if they are playing an ipad game but the kick will be so much bigger when they succeed yeah so they need patience to which get, is get these big kicks to to get the stimuli to continue on there i guess the, the question and this trying to move into your question that you added in the beginning as well so i'm trying to move into that and connecting the dots here so in short you know we i'm very similar to you I, I think it's so fun to simply build stuff mm-hmm. to engineer stuff to have something that actually works and the kick you get out of that is so extreme mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess in short, what you want to do is promote innovation in mm, some way. Mm, mm. And if you start to do that early on, as you're trying, you're helping very well, you know, to just build interest in math and engineering and tech, you know, that is building up the preconditions, so to speak, for people to be truly innovative mm, when mm. they wake up. You need to expose people to the, you know, innovation and what this is all mm, about mm. in order for them to sow a seed. So exactly, so. exactly. Mm. But continue. So, yeah, and the question basically is, I guess, then, I guess you're very pro to having a higher degree of innovation coming up in, in the future generations that we see. I hope so, yeah. 
and I guess this is a very leading question, but still, what, how how should we do that? I guess one way is to simply to build the interest early on. Mm, and mm. Is is that the right way to do it, or how can we simply try to improve innovation in uh, coming generations? Yeah, I think we should encourage it more in school as well, not just following the books, but to do subjects more integrated together. Try to have the um, science and. Uh, uh, textile and uh, what do you say, carpentry, uh, traslöjd mm. together mm, yeah. to do projects, more project-based learning and also competitions. I think competitions are nice. Mm. We, we have always in the history liked co- to compete in sports and so on. I think we can have competitions in, we, there, there exist competitions like we have in Sweden Innovate and we have Blixtlåset and different competitions. UF is also ungföretagsamhet. One, uh, not really competition. Yeah, you compete in entrepreneurship. Mm. You have different prizes and so on. So have these as uh, fundamentals in the school, I think is I- important. But Sweden are also already today quite good in innovation is, yeah. with the school system and so on. We, we are lacking in, in behind in math and science and so on. But innovation, we are quite okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, c- yeah. can I steal the, the question now a little bit? Like, because let's, let's, let's put a, a couple of minutes down the rabbit hole of innovation. And... Uh, you know, how important is it for us as a society and for companies to innovate? I think it's really important because if you don't, you will not uh, exist in in the future. So, and also we, we see that the majority of the employees in Sweden works in SMEs, small companies, middle sized companies, Uh not in Volvo, not in uh, Ikea. So we need these small companies and they are usually, of course, you have some pizzerias and so on, but you're usually based on one form of innovation. So there we need to be strong, to have the labor market in Sweden. And especially when robots are taking more and more of our uh, works and jobs and so on, we need more innovation to find new uh, positions. And, and let me continue. So we need innovation in order to create jobs, you know, create jobs and, and not become obsolete mm-hmm. as, as a society. Mm. Now, do we all, you know, how will we as a society or most people uh, come in touch with innovation? And, and he, I, let me have an argument and we can try it. I argue that the main thing for us as a society and, 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 you know, is to one degree to innovate. Yes. But I argue that with the, with the technology advancements and all there is out there, we don't really have an innovation problem. We have an adaptation problem or to adapt or relearn or so in, in, I mean, how should I argue innovation, invention versus understanding, oh, this is something, this is AI, mm. but how can I adapt this technology to my needs? To my needs? Yes. And this to me now is, is that innovation or adaptation? It's uh, more a- adaptation, but you, you of course need both components here. Yes. And we, we can all see, for example, when the smartphone ca- came 2008 or something, it was not so long since, uh, but today 
everyone is using the smartphone and it, actually it was just one or two years until everyone was using the smartphone it's super so it, fast yeah right? the adaptation was faster and also when uh, some new software and some yeah especially for the young kids a new game come out uh, pokemon go it was all over in one month so the adaptation there is really fast and also with social media and so on and so you, i think we have it but we also have we we are like what do you say vanna djur habit animals yeah uh, it's it's hard to change especially i think uh, when you're older it's even harder you you're used to do something in one way why should you change Uh, so I think this, and then then, then you then you lead me down to the third trait. Mm-hmm, so we have mm-hmm. talked about innovation, mm-hmm. adaptation, and then all of a sudden, as a society, we stand in in, in we stand in a society where where the rate of innovation is increasing, innovation pressure is increasing. Therefore, we can't build more and more efficiency the old way. We need to reinvent what we're doing, and this ergo leads to. We all need to be re- really good at relearning, mm-hmm. constantly relearn, yes. and uh, you know the and dogma how we yeah. used to do things. We need to always yeah. be good and at questioning that that. that. that is something that is very important in in today and even more in the future. We are th- talking about changing uh, like career path in the middle of your forties uh, or middle of your fifties or something like that, and that I think is very important that you need to yeah adapt your career your knowledge and maybe today we are going in school 20 years or 15 years and then we work for 40 years but in the future i think we might go in school 10 years and then start work 10 years and then go back to school so so we switch between education work and back to education i think that's more and more important and we see that that we have uh yrkeshög school or and uh, we are trying to educate our population in different careers later on okay so and, and now let me arrive at the final mm-hmm. problem here so we have talked about we need to innovate we need to ad- adapt and ultimately uh, we as individual needs to relearn mm-hmm. okay and this is vital right now is it any different for our enterprises or organizations to be able to innovate adapt and relearn no the enterprises doesn't exist without uh, employees the humans are driving the employees as well so if the humans are relearning the enterprise will relearn yeah and it's not like a magical enterprise like it's it's not an animal it's the humans that I, that are like the boss and the hierarchy I, I, and so I, I, I disagree i think the i think the organism of an enterprise mm-hmm. lives ac- according to some sort of ideology you know mm-hmm. of how do we run companies economics uh, micro macroeconomics mm-hmm. uh, supply and demand economies of scale but it's still but people. This, but yeah but it's constructs of that w- that was formed 70 years ago mm. that is driving efficiency and cost reduction and 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 a view of what is the way to organize when it's a d- yes. completely different way of organizing if learning and relearning and rechange you know we we are focusing on in perfecting an, a, a stable process mm-hmm. that's what we're good at and now we need to be good at changing reinventing process as we see like big companies every time i call i i won't say any name here but everyone every 
time I call a big company, they are saying, oh, please, we are reorganizing our structure now. <laughs> we are yeah. quite busy in this restructure of the organization. We, we can talk next month or next year or something. Every year they are reorganizing the company. Spotify, it was like three times a year. Yeah. yeah so, so, so it's like you say, we are perfecting the organization and it's stable there, but they are trying new types of, of hierarchies. But, but are they changing the ideology? I think they are not. I and think I, most companies think are not. I, I agree with, or with both of you in some mm. extent. It, it's easy to, to say that you are doing a reorganization, mm. but in reality it's just on the surface. It's exactly. not really changing no. the direction of the company. If you make it big exactly. change, this is example of what Spotify did in 2011, for example. They, they went from being um, a desktop first to to a more of a mobile first company mm. because they realized mobile phones is actually mm. what they use primarily as a device. But then but it's that, more about changing business model. In one part of it, mm. and that's a one big part of it, they have to change the business model, but they also have to change the, <clears throat> their product. They have to change the organization, you know, what mm. type of groups they have and how they were organized internally. And in short, they have to change the whole company to make this big transition from one type of business, mm. business model that they had to another. So these type of big transitions is very rare, I mm. would argue, uh, and, and really hard mm. to, to company to of do. Of course. Um, but with innovation pressure increasing and, and now go nerdy on Ray Kurzweil's low on accelerating returns. I've, I've been, I've been trying to really wrap my head around this. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, this is a different ball game when you have an exponential. Yeah. We don't have a linear uh, technology advancement. We have an exponential mm. technology advancement. That's mm. why we have uh, that he says 2029 20, for. He, he but I also think that new companies have other ways of structuring it, more agile ways of working yeah. instead of EBM or some old companies. And then maybe EBM can buy these innovative uh, companies and try try to learn from them or these new companies will become bigger like Facebook I, I, I think I think the, 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 the latter argument it goes back to Google or someone you always say that we are not afraid of mm. the big uh, competitive giants we, the we, enterprises are, we, we, we are afraid of the new ones that really exactly they mm. can they figure it out and mm -hmm. but what that really tells you, that argument tells you what when you erect a structure, mm. it's hard to change. It's very or, hard to or change. Even impossible. Even impossible, maybe, right? And then it goes all the way down to, well, we have companies now that are beautiful, fantastic companies that was erected mm. 100 years ago. Mm. Mm. So they, this is the challenge, right? Mm. Of relearning, right? Yeah. A fundamentally, business model, you know, how we reinvent every single process. Mm. Let me switch to a similar but different question. Mm, yeah. And I think one that uh, you have been speaking about before, Fredrik, mm. as well. And, and that's the future of the job market, mm -hmm. especially as robots like Elsa get yeah. increasingly conscious, mm -hmm. perhaps, mm -hmm. <laughs> or at least get increasingly useful, yeah. if we say that. It doesn't have to be conscious, I guess. What do you think will happen in the future job market in like 10 years? Do you think AI and robotics will change that in some ways, positive or negative? What's your general thinking? Yeah, uh, definitely it will affect. Yes. Uh, then the hard question is how, and I think a lot of jobs will disappear, but of course a lot of jobs will also appear. That yes. we will have more engineers and more maybe cognitive science people or um, yeah, more uh, 
titles and occupation will mm. that we can't imagine today. So it's hard to uh, like list all new jobs that will appear, but a lot will appear. Mm. But I think the main problem here is that we will have a negative netto. We will uh, lose more jobs than we will create. Mm. And that that's uh, something that I'm a bit worried about. It, how both in long term or short, or mainly short term or mainly long term? With the Ma- negative. Mainly long term. And we have seen that in the past as mm. well, that we had in the beginning of the 90s, we had, uh, or maybe 40s or something like that, uh, 60 hours a week we worked and then 50 hours and now we are 40. So that's uh, the trend. We are working less and less and we're getting paid more and more. Uh, so in the future, we might work 20 hours a week or mm. something like that. Uh, and then we can uh, have the same salary and we can be more with our family. We, we also, I, I think this can be good. M- many people see and are afraid of losing jobs, but I think we are uh, so stressful today and we are yeah. apart from our family so much. So I think if we can work less with the same amount of payment, then it's good. But the problem is if a few people work and get the payment and, No one, other people has, is no not part of the society. Yeah, part of the labor market. They are part of the society, yeah. but good, very, better, <laughs> good, better, better framed. Thank you. Yes. Uh, then, then we have more uh, segregation and more problems, economical segregation, but also other problems in the society. Mm. So that's one big challenge I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, some jobs, it's easy to, to see that you, they will be affected more than others. And uh, if you take like uh, truck drivers, which mm. is, I think, the biggest uh, job um, op- uh, occupation to have mm. in the U.S., I think a third of all the jobs that they have in the U.S. is mm. like uh, truck drivers or something. Exactly. So you can see something happening to some of them. Mm. Uh, I would still hope, uh, from an optimistic point of view, that more jobs will have occur mm. um, but perhaps it will be a different type of job so it actually but, is more but suitable if you, for you if you're looking into the future long term general artificial intelligence why mm. why should we work if we have someone or something that is equal or even better yeah. and than us yeah. then then the jobs will disappear or do you think even yeah. at that time we will see more jobs i think so, actually. Uh, not more jobs. No, 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 no. So the trend is, I think, clear, as you say as well. Mm. But that we will have jobs. Yes, some people can have jobs. And we can see hand- handcraft, like you, you value a painting painted by a human more than a painting <laughs> painted by because a I robot. Because I think this is interesting, right? Because when society changes like that, and we have more time, mm-hmm. and we are more differentiating what is the human excelling at mm. what are we valuing mm. i mean like i can fully embrace the trend of we want to have handcrafted things exactly we want to have more music and we, can do we it. want to have more culture we can do music and culture for free because we will get paid by the robots the robot will uh, making the economy work so we can have food on so, the table yeah so and and but then i then you can argue that i think somewhere in in the way our ideology in the way we work as humans we mm-hmm. want to feel useful mm-hmm. so we want to go to work but maybe but you you you, but you can f- feel useful if you are in the e- e- like ngo uh, exactly. sector as well no, no, so what i'm saying is that we will that's what i'm a little bit thinking that we as as a species we will create jobs we will mm-hmm. synthetically create jobs 
even if it's just for pleasure, like mm-hmm. culture or, mm-hmm. or, or for music or, or humanity, so whatever. So it depends on what you are saying about jobs. I think we will still have something to do. We will yes. not sit Ex- in the sofa looking straight that's forward. That's my point. Yes. But but we we don't need to have this for getting a salary. Yeah. We, we can do it for fun. We can do music for fun. If if you are saying that is a job, yeah, then we will of course create jobs in the occupation future. Occupation, or at least, yeah. I, I, th- I think the, I think the the notion of occupation and, mm. and you know belonging uh, to, mm. to, to to a discipline and all this, mm. I, I think that is not. I, mean, I, I think disappearing. one way to phrase it is: we have actually, you know, we have never had better social welfare than mm-hmm. we have today. I mean. It is if you do nothing, or mm. I mean, you will you will still be able to survive. You yes. will have roof on top of your head. You will get food, etc. Mm. That will just continue to increase mm-hmm. in that sense, and that's a really good thing, right? Mm. I'm trying to end off here on a positive note. Yes. <laughs> um, so, in that sense, I think that kind of welfare will just continue to increase with the help of increased, you know, taking advantage of technology of data and AI of robotics, mm. et cetera. I think Elon Musk phrased it as, um, we will have a future of extreme abundance. Yes, mm-hmm. I heard mm. exactly this quote. Mm. Right. There yeah. will be an abundance of, of you know, mm. that so, Everything. It, mm. so it, it, it's a different, mm-hmm. it's a different mm-hmm. mindset mm. that is very hard mm-hmm. to imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we have actually a large amount of abundance already today, mm-hmm. if you just compare it 50 years mm-hmm. back. I think that abundance will just increase in an exponential yeah. scale. But according but, to but, and of course, the real problem is: can we distribute this abundance in a fair and equal yes. way? Yeah. I think that's going to be mm. a, the big, big exactly. problem to and avoid in, this. Uh, because because the, the the when you have an uneven distribution of mm. power mm. or an uneven distribution of you know, mm. I would go you know, fundamental satisfying mm. Mm. That, that will be the problem exactly. And and then also just to try to end off here on a positive note, this is also the equality of finding use for an AI. Sometimes people think if you're not a data scientist, you will not have the success um, as data scientists have. So it will be increasing in inequality in who can benefit of the future of AI. I think that is very very wrong, mm. and um, I. I can compare it to, if I give an example of my mom, for example, she worked as a nurse. She was horrified when they digitalized the journal system. They went from writing pen and paper into some kind of computerized form, digitalized form, and it was extremely complicated. You couldn't change anything. It was a lot, very Mm, hard, mm, horrible mm. user interface. It was very, very complicated, and it really increased the digital divide, the original term of the divide, in an extreme. And it was a very bad experience. And it's very easy to understand that people think that this type of technology that AI is, is very complicated. Therefore, the, tech, the, the digital divide will increase. Mm. And only a few very technically knowledgeable people will have the power to use it. And that is the, the strongest and worst misconception you can have, I would mm. argue. What I instead say is the AI will actually make it much more human. Like with Elsa, mm. you can speak to her. She can look at you. You can use the human type of sensors and actuators. And in that way, it will actually decrease the digital divide and make it super simple for anyone without even technical skills to take advantage of technology. 
Would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. We are not made for using buttons and screens and so on. We are yeah. made for talking. That's the main communication interface with humans. Yeah. So with more voice control systems and more robots are also similar to us with the shape anthropomorph. Yeah. What do you say? Anthropomorph. Yeah, then it's more uh, yeah easy for us to communicate and yeah. interface I with mean, the it's technology. Just to take a car. I mean, mm. it, it, the car of today works in some way. The car of the future will be you walk into it and mm. say, you know, please take me there. Yeah, exactly, you know? exactly. But, but Much the, easier. But but the misconception here is about th- how many will truly. Uh, design AIs and program AIs and how many will use AIs in, in all types of uh, forms and shapes and, uh, and jobs. Mm. So that we all need to be data scientists. Well, that, that would argue that we all should build AIs no. and that's not But the you, case. you can train the system. You, 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 just like you raise children today, you can raise the AI to help and you. you. And you will be able to do that even because that process has mm. been AI-ified. Exactly. Yeah. Simplified or... So mm. what do you think, Fredrik? Is the future in 10 plus years positive or negative? Positive, of course. I am very optimistic about the future, but we need to be aware of the problems to solve them. What will Elsa's children <laughs> look like? How will they be able to behave in 10 years? I think they will be very smart and maybe do stuff that we think is boring, maybe cook the food in the uh, weekdays. We can still do the cooking on Sundays for fun, but when we are stressed, we're coming home, we have children screaming, they need food. Then the robots have already prepared the food for us and help us with a lot of everyday problems. And uh, it can also be like we, we have a dog, we need to walk the dog every day, but it's not so fun in the rainy, autumn days, then the robot can go out and walk the dog. So I think that kind of technology we will have in t- 10 years. Mm. And and uh, how do you see uh, the evolution of uh, robots and even humanoid robots? What you, where where will we see them first? I mean, like we have them in, in dangerous places, mm-hmm. we have them mm-hmm. in rescue. So how do you see the steps here? You know, yeah, well, now it's in dangerous places in the industry as well, manufacturing mm-hmm. industry. We will see them in the future more and more in transportation, transportation. sector. We, we, if we classify a car as a robot, which I do, and then we will see them in, in uh, healthcare. We already see some. AI uh, diagnostic systems and so on. We see them in surgery already now, so more and more in healthcare. And then I think also in restaurants, having robots at McDonald's flipping burgers and so on instead of humans. That's so actually not so far away. Exactly, exactly. And we, we can then, then have restaurants open all night and every day a week and so on. And also cheaper since we don't need to pay any salary for that. Awesome. Fredrik, what's next in your life? What's happening privately, professionally? <laughs> Something happening? Uh, yeah, we are working more and more with robots and delivering more cool robots for big companies like Ericsson, Siemens and mm-hmm. such. Also, this metaverse is evolving more and more and we are uh, maybe taking in uh, more venture capital. Uh, we, we don't have any venture capital now, but I'm looking for it uh, this year. 
And, uh, for which company? For for the metaverse company. I think there we need to uh, speed up the development more yeah. in the robotic sector. I I more calm that we are in a good position for for the rise in the next ten years. Mm. But metaverse, the hype is now. We need to <laughs> to surf the hype. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, I hope that uh, yeah, m- my personal life will also like having a family and so on in the next maybe. Five ten years and so on. Yeah, sounds awesome. We had one question we never took, but we take it off afterward. <laughs> I, I want. We need to talk. Well, yes. I think we have twenty. <laughs> oh, we have twenty, but I thought we were going to do singularity uh, on the show. <laughs> next, time, do, next time. Next time. Yeah. Next time. <laughs> next time. Anyone that you would recommend to have on this show? Anyone that you would? I don't like know to which to? which one you have already had. But Fredrik Heinz is yes. really good. So yes. that's that's one of my recommendation. Danica Kragic is yes. also one. Of course. Yeah. Mm. Good. Good name. Awesome. Awesome names. I'm very eager to proceed with the after after exactly, work now. Me too. <laughs> so with that, you know, awesome to have you here, Frederick. Uh, as always, it's great discussions and very very insightful comments. Yeah, fantastic discussion, Frederick. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you very much, Frederick.